band? Talk radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. What's the mood amongst the guys in the locker room? Good. What was the exchange with McClain? Your exchange? What's that? Johnny McClain. Johnny McClain? Yeah. You should ask him. Are you answering all questions or what? I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. You get that through your head? I guess so. Yeah. And it's time to waste the time. Oh, well, then get the fuck out of here then. Okay, see ya. Next question. John. Sunday, February uh, 21st, no, 2021, it's the uh, least of podcast, they got a lot of good jam, these, uh, you know, these hosts, they got uh, some good ideas, some good thoughts, and uh, you know, you need good thoughts when, when you play hockey, you know, I know all about thoughts, you know, but, uh, McMaster there, McGill, sorry, you know, McGill, got my degree in hockey thoughts, so, you know, uh, and, uh, in, enjoy the show. Well, listen here. I think Mike's a, a fantastic man. I think he's a good coach. Uh, I think he brings a lot of that hard-nosed pugnacity to the game that not a lot of coaches bring. And listen, you know, the best part about this, Steve, is I don't have to fucking talk to you ever again. So It's really cool that we got, uh, we got Mike and uh, Brian in here to do the uh, intro for the podcast Con- this week. Considering they uh, never worked for the Leafs at the same time. Yeah. yeah I don't know how they even really know each other. Yeah, that was from the same freaking country. That was really nice of them to do that for us. Yeah. Uh, we thank them for their time. I, I of course, uh, am James Cole still. Yeah, I'm not Brian Burke. I don't know if you had figured that out yet. At the at yet. Um, yeah, I'm Bruce Vitaglia from the High Button. As Mike said, yeah, this is the Laced Up Podcast, and uh, Mike Babcock back in uh, the coaching world. I don't know how the University of Saskatchewan is going to afford that eight million dollar. Paycheck, but uh, you know, yeah. I guess that's what your tuition's going towards. Something kids, tells, something tells me he's maybe doing this a little bit cheaper than what he was mm. doing the Leafs for. For little sure, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Um, so Mike Babcock, yeah, he he goes from um, coaching nineteen-year-olds in Toronto to coaching nineteen-year-olds at a university, where I'm sure none of the same problems are going to come up. I'm sure it'll be a smooth transition. See, like, I feel like I'm not really qualified to give opinions on Mike Babcock because, like, I feel like I just constantly give the guy the benefit of the doubt when it seems like no one else really does, and I feel like maybe that's unfair at this point. But I don't know. Like, I just I see I see all this stuff where you know today everyone was saying about how he's uh, psychologically abused young players for years, and I I only heard of like two instances where. Uh, it seemed like he was psychologically unfair to a player, and only one of them would I say it was uh, definitely abuse and, and, you know, a kind of a major thing with the friends and thing there. But, like, again, uh, for the 40th time, like, the fucking Marner thing is nothing really much to me. And that was it. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily the worst hire. It's it's pretty bizarre. It, it's, it's one of the weirder 
uh, university hockey hires I've ever seen. And I guess I understand that, you know, Babcock apparently has family reasons for wanting to be out there, which yeah. I don't know what they are. Well, but, his parents uh, live out in Saskatchewan. Okay. So there was some murmuring that maybe some people aren't doing too well back home. Okay. And obviously, like, we remember he came to Toronto because he had an opportunity where after his time in Detroit, you know, that he talked all about, like, all his kids are out of the house now. He does like the word opportunity. <laughs> Great opportunity. Um, the kids are out of the house. Let's get so that straight. he was able to move to a new city without really having to worry about taking care of the kids. And he seems to be kind of driven in that regard for you know, making some decisions. Of, like, a, like a moving van, you know, you've got to pack uh, a lot of different things into it. And it's up to you when you unpack them, uh, what you want to do with them. You hey, know? well, it wasn't up to him when he packed his shit the first time. But um, <laughs> oh, I don't hey. love the Mike Commodore reference, but it was a good one. Uh, um, so, yeah, there was a little bit of talk there about, you know, maybe, you know, uh, some, some, some folks back home. Uh, maybe a little under the weather. We're, we're hoping, obviously, that that's not the case. But in any event, he's he's back uh, in his his home province. And look, like this is a guy that I, I think genuinely like his his place is behind a bench. Whether or not he should be behind a bench is an, another discussion. But like he shouldn't be doing the NBC circuit. You know what I mean? Like he he shouldn't be the advisor yeah. to another coach because like that's not really going to help him grow as a person if that's his goal if it's if it isn't then i don't know just go skiing in switzerland like the leafs are going to pay you the next couple of years anyway to to not do anything but he clearly has a passion for it he wants to be behind a bench he's he's taking an opportunity at you know maybe a level of hockey that he thinks he can have some some influence in and it you know what it, it's not the whl it's not the ahl it's not the khl but He's he's staying on the North American side of the waters, and he's coaching a fairly high level of hockey. And you know, the end of the day, listen, I, I I hope Mike Babcock has has taken what he's gone through the last year year and a half and grown as a person, or recognizes that he has to grow as a person. And I I want to see him do that because I, I I don't wish ill of people automatically just because they do something bad. I, I think that they should have the means to, you know, rectify their mistakes. Often. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope this is an opportunity for him to do that. But as you said, it is fucking bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean like the other side of my argument and kind of where I was going uh, to kind of circle back though, is at the end of the day, uh, when all that stuff was coming out about Mike Babcock in November 2019, and there were all these stories and accusations and things like that, uh, nobody really rushed to his defense either. Right. So, I mean, like, that's, you know, one thing you have to think about is he had some colleagues that, that had some kind words, and um, just maybe perhaps that didn't have the... People that didn't have the same relationship with Mike Babcock that he's going to have with some of these uh, university players and the same relationship that he maybe had with some of his former players with the Red Wings, with the Ducks, with the Leafs. So I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a prediction here how this is going to work out really. I think I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, look, like all eyes are already on him. There's already, you know, some conversation going in the hockey world and specifically around this guy that you don't have to take his shit and put up with stuff that's unfair to you as a person. So I think that everyone that he's going to be playing for and everyone that is going to be working around him knows that. 
And I feel like he's still going to be accountable, even if it is maybe in a uh, place with not as great of a spotlight as the Toronto Maple Leafs. But um, I certainly think that, you know, eyes are on him and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, I think if if he can, like I said, if he can if he can put his best foot forward and, and learn from his mistakes, this uh, is a... Uh, got to be ready to uh, start on time. You know, let's just get that straight here. Yeah. You know, game starts at 7. we got to be ready to go at 7 o'clock, you know. You know I, uh, I want a list on my desk of uh, all your professors and, uh, you know, the level of academia they're teaching at and uh, where you think they can improve. No, but all jokes aside, I hope the best for him if he's willing to help himself because I think that's where you, you have to make the first first step is uh, wanting to help yourself and then and then others can start to help you. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see. Um, obviously, the, the first sign of trouble uh, out of the university, you know, maybe we get a sense of, uh, you know, what, what some of these guys think of the, the new guy behind the bench and it'll be interesting, like, how much uh, attention is paid to the uh, university collegiate level in Canada for a change, because that uh, never seems to get much uh, uh, awareness on the uh, hockey landscape. But yeah, um, interesting all the same. Something that I think we're just going to get out of the way real quick here uh, off the top, because we had it on our list to talk about for the episode, um, the Lake Tahoe outdoor ah, weekend. Yeah. Um, we were all set, you know. We're gonna... Freaking busy day in the NHL. Uh, yeah, day. very. Like, we're, like, I guess worth mentioning, we're recording this Saturday night. Uh, it is 10.05 Eastern Standard Time. So we're recording uh, during the first intermission of the uh, Lake Tahoe game, which is fun. Yeah, still. Um, we still will be. We, we plan to come on here and talk all about the game and all about the sight lines and everything that we thought about the, uh, the venue and obviously kind of set things up for tomorrow's game, which... Probably would have happened before this episode even came out, but uh, that no longer will be the case as Sunday's game has been delayed to 7.30 Eastern. And uh, the game yesterday, uh, which began at, I believe, 3 o'clock, or was scheduled to start at 3 o'clock, uh, they got through a period and instantly had to uh, shut things down um, because of a sun delay. Not something you see in other sports. Yeah. Pretty um... unique. You know, and I've seen it happen before where sports have been delayed because of a glare. And that wasn't even the biggest problem that the sun created today. So that was interesting. I mean, the, the cool thing was when the game started is it was sunny as hell. And it was, uh, what, it was noon, I guess, there. It would have been noon or yeah, 1 o'clock yeah. kind of thing there. And um, the Avalanche are wearing jerseys where they're all white. There's nothing else on them. And the rink is covered in snow because there's no, or like, sorry, beside the rink is covered in snow because there's no fans. And then there's a giant lake where the sun is reflecting off of it. Like, this was the brightest place on Earth. Uh, possibly the brightest place in the universe other than the sun today. Mm. So that was kind of neat. Um, you couldn't see shit. <laughs> it was. It was who, which uh, was the, who was the goalie that was wearing the sunglasses? Grubauer. Grubauer? Was yeah. he in net wearing them? Yeah. That's mint. Yeah. He, I don't know, because he wasn't wearing them at the start of the game, so I don't know if he actually wore them during the play or if it was just like a thing that they kind of did to set it up. Uh, my thought was, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. If I'm on the other team, I'm aiming every shot at his head to try to knock <laughs> those glasses loose. He's fucking fiddling with his glasses, his mask kind of falling off. 
you got rebounds all over the place. Mm. It'd be perfect. I'd be shooting right at his head. I'm not going to lie. This would have been the perfect opportunity for the NHL to kind of relax the visor rules, and maybe we get a lot of reflective visor. (laughs) uh, You know, Oakley's really cashing in on the sponsorship. Alexander Ovechkin chrome visors. Looks like the KHL out there. Yeah, no, it was kind of cool. Like, there were a lot of guys wearing reflective visors that ordinarily wouldn't. And uh, I don't know. Like, I like outdoor games. I'm just sick of watching football stadiums. Like, I'm still... Well, the first four rows of the same football stadium doesn't do it you for you. You can't even see the people. Yeah. Like, all you can see is just a rink and a field. Yeah. You at least have some sort of a backdrop that I might find interesting every once in a while instead of just a massive football stadium with 80,000 people that I don't know. And then every time they come back from the commercial, they'll show a shot of, like, the fucking Liberty Bell or something. And, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, uh, fucking Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, right. We're in Philadelphia. Yeah, right. like, oh, the Flyers are playing. Yeah, in case you guys didn't yeah. catch that. So, like, you know, like, those are fine. And I'm not saying don't do them or anything moving forward because, like, I wanted to go to the Heritage Classic uh, a couple years ago. The and big it just, house. It just didn't work uh, out for me, so I couldn't go. But I want to go to an outdoor game, and I'll go to one if it's in a football stadium or a fucking baseball stadium or whatever. Like, I'll still go to it. But, you know, I think there is something to be said for having this big spectacular event once or twice a year now where, yeah, maybe you only have 10,000 people there once everything is kind of settled years down the road kind of thing. And we can actually pack people together for these events. But, yeah, if you put 10,000 people outside, of like right beside Lake Louise... That'd be cool as shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to go to that? And then it's least a game where I'm like, I'll watch it on TV because there's something else going on other than the hockey. It is a big spectacle. It's unique. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're trying to do. So let's let's go ahead and do it. Like, you know, I don't give a fuck about the University of Notre Dame. I don't give a fuck about playing a game in their football stadium. I don't care. Couldn't give a shit. But, you know, you play a game beside a volcano or something like that. Yeah, I'll watch Ooh, it. Wow. You know? That's what I'm saying. The um, lava is flowing, and so are the goals. <laughs> Gord, I've never been to Mount Kilimanjaro before, but I got to tell you, it's quite a sight. Um, no, and, and and like to kind of touch on your point is like the KHL very famously had an outdoor game in Red Square, and it's like okay. what the what the fuck is Red Square? Like the, yeah. it's not like you have bleachers set up; it's just a, a, a iconic part of. Uh, the capital city, and uh, every Russian knows what it is that they're looking at. So they did that years ago, you know, when you could have had people at the game. And um, so I don't know. I, I thought the sight lines at Lake Tahoe were beautiful. I really hope that everything goes off without a hitch tonight and tomorrow night, and they got everything figured out and they can they can play these games. But you mentioned Lake Louise. Uh, I mentioned Red Square. We've heard a little bit about the Parliament Hill uh, idea about playing, playing a game there. What, what would be the coolest backdrop in, in your opinion? Like, what, what can you come up with on the spot here that would be know, really cool to just I watch? I was so amazed today that I couldn't even think about what other good ideas would be. I'd be like, I was just like, wow, they should do this more often. And then, like, same thing. Like, I had someone else ask me, like, well, where else should they do it? I don't know, somewhere cool. Like, literally when I said a volcano earlier, like, I don't know, maybe there is some cool place, you know, mm. fucking, I mean, like, there's been people pushing for uh, for uh, Mount Rushmore, oh, which yeah. wouldn't really move the needle too much for me, but it'd still be cool. It's outdoors it's, uh, yeah. It's like, yeah. anytime you play a video game and they have those secret levels where you can either play a game, like NBA 2K uh, Hoops was kind of like a... Mm-hmm. Like, an example of that, where, like, you could just play at these random courts, but, like, you could also play at a court. Like, 
you know, in Times Square and stuff like that. And it's like, cool, like, this is cool as shit. Like, you know what I mean? You're in a game, you're in a real place, but you're also just playing basketball kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It'd be cool as shit for the NHL to just kind of do something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, Anywhere. The the big ice sculpture uh, event that they, uh, well, not this year because of COVID, but uh, they do out in Montreal every year, that massive uh you know people come from around from around the world to, to make these ice sculptures really cool if you could put up a, a rink next to that and you get all those sculptures yeah. in the background and it's all outdoorsy and it'll be cold as fuck because you know it's canada and not tech well i guess texas technically is is pretty cold these days yeah. but, oh boy oh boy a couple yeah. games uh, d- uh pro- postponed down in dallas which we won't talk about but i uh, just threw that in there uh, on the fly so it's just anywhere that it. you could see a game where it's different than watching a game on tv right now in an empty arena like even Ooh. once there are fans there it's just you know what i mean like the the flames and the oilers are playing right now and like the it's totally fine like obviously i'm not saying we should have every single game outside all of a sudden because it's not the product isn't as good continue doing it the way that it is but every so often it's nice to throw in a game that somewhere where you're not used to watching it and that was the whole thing with lake tahoe today was it was just as amazing to see it somewhere like that with, you know what I mean, not surrounded by thousands and thousands of stands where it just looked like a bowl, but the sky was there. That was maybe one of the coolest ideas for a sporting event I've ever seen. And so what? It didn't work out. Like, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and fucking... I'm not going to be one of those people who tells the NHL that they need to loosen up and do different things, but then also be like, oh yeah, fucking classic NHL, couldn't get it right today. Like, there, there were like two weather conditions where this was going to be a disaster, and one of them happened today. And so what? Yeah, they made some bad calls. Like, sure, you know, they probably shouldn't have started the game in the first place. But sure, yeah. Obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know whose idea it was to paint the center ice uh, black, but the line, uh, the center ice, like the decal they had at the center ice was it had black on it. Oh, I didn't notice. Absorbs heat. Yes, it does, and heats the ice. And then Eddie Olchek, like eight minutes in the game, is like. I don't know why. Every time they skate through the, the face-off dot, they're, they're all falling down. And I was like, oh, that's not good if that's true. And then you watch the next shift or two, and it's like, yeah, like literally any time you skated through the face-off dot, like guys were avoiding it and skating down mm-hmm. the outside wings and stuff like that. Yeah, because it's black. And it's like... <laughs> it's melting. It's like five degrees. <laughs> it's fucking melting. Like, why did you paint that black? And Darren Drager right away is like, yeah, that's the main reason I don't paint my backyard rink uh, any colors is because the sun absorbs all that. It's like, Darren Drager knew that. Who Whose idea was this? Did you guys literally do nothing other than just, like, get your regular ice guys and then just ask Gary Bettman when you thought things were a good or a bad idea and then he just made all the decisions? Was there no, you know, fucking committee on this? But I'm not going to shit on the NHL for doing something fun. So... I thought it was great. I thought that it was a cool idea. They tried to do this. It was something that I didn't realize how cool it actually was till the game started today, and uh, or it was about to start kind of thing. And uh, for about an hour and a half there, I was having more fun watching hockey than I've had uh, possibly in my entire life because I thought that was the coolest fucking thing. I'm a big sightseer. I like to see that kind of shit. And uh, to actually have a game there I thought was super cool. Go back to your question too. One place that I would like to see it work, but you're going to run into a lot of the same issues as you had today. My first thought today was Yosemite, mm. but okay. climate-wise, sure. you got to be careful when you're doing that. And you and I talked about it before we started recording. The problem with all these things, and you know, the easy question would be, why not do this shit in January? 
And if you know anything about the NHL, it's that they're very concerned about their ratings. And especially if you're doing an event like this, where you're not selling 80,000 people's worth of tickets and merch and stuff like that, you know, a lot of it's going to come through their ratings and their sponsors. And the sponsors are pretty much always going to be there, but the ratings aren't going to be there during football season or more specifically the playoffs. So for this year, when were you going to have this Lake Tahoe game? Well, either last weekend or this weekend. They just picked the wrong weekend. Yeah. You know, They're, they were... and, and moving forward, if you want to do it at Yosemite, like you could do it on February 20th, but it might be 11, 12 degrees Celsius there and the ice might melt with or without black paint. Yeah. And if they could have got their shit together earlier and, and started two weeks on time, um, you know, January 1st is the classic outdoor day, right? And um so th- this could definitely work next year on january 1st but i think sure. the plan is probably to have fans in the stands right so uh it sucks yeah. but uh, i was gonna say uh, you go to yellowstone national park and uh, you just have uh, old faithful going off in the background Oop. every 44 minutes scaring the shit out of the goalies and yeah that'd be great well no different than playing in columbus you're in the splash zone pierre yeah. <laughs> pierre's eating a corn dog yeah. oh isn't he though um what's with this guy in fucking corn dogs yeah Wow, 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 wow. The Arizona Coyotes back in the fucking oh, news. Oh, my God. Uh, they're in, um, well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess they're in hot water. Katie, Katie Strang has them in hot water from The Athletic, uh, and they didn't like that too much. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, they didn't like uh, how they've been an absolute tire fire of an organization for 25 years, hmm. and Katie Strang finally was like, you know what? Someone needs to fucking maybe say something about how bad this organization is after 25 years. And all of a sudden, they're like, Oh, that's not fair. We didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Well, you've had 25 years to prepare for this moment. You never did. You know, everyone talks about how bad all these other teams are, and basically you guys have an ownership issue from afar that no one cares about, and then no one ever talks about this team. They're a fucking disaster. The uh, Arizona Coyotes are, are now officially a, uh, a Billions episode. Um, they uh, Just, just okay. with less interesting characters. That's uh, essentially what's oh, happened. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The Coyotes are like billions if uh, Dollar Bill was running the organization and, like, there was nobody good under him. Like, that's what it is. It's just like a a massive douchebag with a bunch of, like, bigger douchebags that are less useful. So Alex Morello uh, bought the team. Or Spiro. Maybe Spiro's running it. Spiro's worse. Alex Morello, uh, he's he's the one of the Coyotes now. Uh, He he bought the team uh, in, in July of 2019. And there was a lot of optimism, okay? This is a guy that, you know, grassroots American, you know, success story, buys a pizza joint in college, turns it into 40 pizza joints, and, you know, buys a bunch of property and casinos and radio stations and all this. And, you know, fixer-upper kind of attitude. It's worth a few billion dollars. He can, he's willing to sink some money into the team, you know, keep it, keep it in the area. I think there's a lot of optimism about him taking over the the franchise, and, and Katie Strang hits on uh, a lot of those points and talks about, you know, how highly he was regarded uh, in the process. Um, interestingly enough, though, she she later gets into the fact that he was uh, swiftly dismissed from uh, purchasing the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA. So, eh, you know, some signals getting uh, mixed up there between um, uh, commissioners, if you will. But. Um, Ultimately, uh, Katie String does a, an amazing job uh, breaking down uh, the period of time in which the Arizona Coyotes have operated under Alex Morello. Uh, a lot of talk about missed payments, you know, players not getting their, their bonuses on time, 
there was a big commitment to uh, keeping employees paid throughout the pandemic. They were one of the first teams that came up publicly and said, "We're going to make sure all of our all of our people they're they're being you know taken care of during everything like that." And then by June, July, we're finding out that oh yeah, they haven't paid a dime to anybody, and you know they're backlogged on all these uh, you know checks that they owe to all these employees, and and some of them didn't qualify for whatever reason, whatever that means. I don't know how you qualify for being an employee of the Coyotes or not. To me, it's just kind of whether you work for the team, uh, you work for the team, right? Which says something if you were being scummy back then, mm. right? Because, like, organizations have started to turn their heel now after a year and be, you know, realize that they're going to go under if they keep doing all these things that they said right. they were going to do. And, right. like, yeah, if you want to be a weasel of an organization now after a year, I understand that there is a bottom line. But <laughs> in June... For you to tell me that uh, uh, a professional sports team was out of basic payroll like 90 days after this all started, that's not a good start. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, not a good sign. Um, She goes on to talk about um, resignations from uh, high-ranking members of the uh, organization that have been with the team going back as far as 2003. Um, Employees taking action against the organization for, for missed payment going back decades. Uh, just an absolute shit show of information that Katie Strang uh, brought forth. Uh, interviews more than 50 people in her piece. Gets quotes from a lot of different sources. And an overall what she calls toxic workplace. The Coyotes, in turn, release a statement that suggests that Katie Strang should be worried about her job as far as communicating with other general managers in the future because bill, bill armstrong is i got that right bill is it bill that's the gm in, in, in phoenix one of those armstrongs it doesn't matter to me he um he he is under the impression according to the article that information was obtained from him in a unjust manner and uh, goes so far as to suggest that it was katie strang that uh, broke into his personal files to acquire said information, That's despite right. the fact that a memo went out literally a week before telling employees, hey, don't say shit to anybody. So clearly there was uh, already smoke, and where there's smoke, there is, of course, fire. Personally, I think it's fucking hilarious. Well, it's just, to me, like, to your point... Sorry, you know... The, the idea that the uh, Coyotes are going after Key Strings. The, the, the not, idea... Not, not, not the, uh, the idea, no, no, no. <laughs> The idea that Katie Strang is going to get afraid by uh, this this organization that she has just like done months and months of research on to find out that they're an incompetent, absolute, you know, tire fire. This is the same Katie Strang for like, if you're not familiar with Katie Strang, listening to this podcast, the last three things that she's done, like literally last three things she's written was uh, she's the person who... Um, had talked or sorry, had done the follow-up with the University of Minnesota about the hockey assistant who was a few, uh, accused of sexual uh, abuse. Uh, she was the person who did the follow-up with Omar Vizquel, who was a commu- uh, uh, sorry convicted and accused of domestic abuse. And she was the person who teamed up with uh, Brittany Garoli on the Mickey Calloway article uh, two weeks ago about talking about one of the biggest names in baseball manages one of the biggest markets uh, in the sport who had been accused of lewd behavior and, you know, borderline sexual assault. 
she's not too worried about yeah <laughs> about uh oh you you hacked into uh, our emails we're gonna possibly sue you yeah i didn't like that's fine i have a way of finding out information clearly because all these pieces of work have come over five months like yeah. she's not someone who just starts firing grenades like every week and just trying to fucking finally hit one like she very carefully does her research and is a very credible name maybe one of the most respected sports writers in north america there was a lot of uh association with the fact that steve sullivan was let go when he was let go and perhaps uh, there are those perhaps within the uh, organization in phoenix that believe he may have been the one uh that released this information because because it because it was odd okay we didn't want really to talk about like, steve sullivan getting uh, getting fired but like the timing didn't make any sense. I mean, it's not like his no. job was... He wasn't doing a terrible job in terms of what an AGM is supposed to do for an organization. So it was either a financial cut... No, but this is a whole... This is an organization where every single time they make a decision, it's just, here's the decision, and then we sit here and we're like, why did they do this? And we never know why. Right. Because the John Chaka thing is still... We still have no idea... Well, not... We still don't exactly know what went on there. We still don't know... Um, like, everything that's happened with their ownership over the years. There's been so many bizarre things that have happened there. The Sullivan thing. I had something else, too. Like, the the, it's the, oh, the Mitchell Miller thing. There were tons of things around that where it's just like, well, why did they do this? And it's like, well, we don't really know. Because mm -hmm. like, they themselves are on record as, as saying that they had him on the list of guys that they weren't going to draft. Sure. And they pinned that selection on a, a woman that is not named in the article who was very public about not wanting to draft the guy. And she had to fight in, you know, like, a, I think it was in the courts to clear her name. Mm -hmm. And now they've retracted their statement and she's working for the organization still. But it's like, you tried to pin picking this kid after A, picking him, and then B, putting out a public statement stating that this is an opportunity to grow and we're going to work with him to bring awareness. Mm -hmm. and, all right. That didn't work, and now you're going to try to blame this woman who didn't want him in the first place. Yeah. Uh, there, there's talk of uh, sexual assault files being charged mm -hmm. uh, in the article. It is an absolute disgusting read in the sense that you learn as much as you do in this article. That That's not to take anything away from the, the article itself in terms of the professionalism and 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 how katie strang arranged it but it, it just it got worse as you went like it was to me very unsettling you'd think you had reached the end of you know the incompetence of the organization only for her to bring up something else that went wrong a few months later to me and i know we make a lot of jokes about the ottawa senators to me this is the worst organization in the national hockey league this is quite possibly the worst organization in pro sports in north america well, the issue with the Coyotes, right, is is this article. I still haven't actually read read it. All I know is what I've been uh, what I've been told, and uh, you know, I've had discussions with some people about it at the high button and just things like that. Where, you know, it just it sort of seems to me, and this was the apparently the sort of theme of the article was that it's from top to bottom, in some regard. Like there are so obviously employees of this organization that are that are absolved but that there are a lot of people that seem to have their own agenda there and and this seems to be um this just seems to be kind of relayed 
and, and just a, a, a consistently toxic work environment. Whereas with the senators, like we know what the problem is with the senators, right? The senator's problem is that their owner is uh, an asshole and is cheap. And that's mostly it. Like there are a lot of seemingly good people there uh, that work there. Like I know a few people that uh, have had close personal contact with Pierre Dorian on many occasions and claim that he's an awesome dude, you know? So he's their number two guy. Like clearly with the senators, they're trying but they're just not being given a lot of, you know, a lot to work with. They're, they're, you can only do so much with so much money. But the Coyotes don't seem like they're making any attempt. And for basically their entire existence, it's just been, well, what is their MO? What are they trying to do here? And it's either a cheap owner or um, an owner that doesn't know anything about hockey. And now we've got these this owner where I don't know what the deal is there. Like if he's got organizational uh organize organized crime ties or something like that or, or what the whole thing is here with that but it, it just it doesn't seem to all add up and i'm very curious to see where it's going to go but yeah you're right i mean if you want to say that they're the worst organization in sports i'm sure i'm probably going to get that impression once i actually sit down and read the article i just haven't brought myself to do so yet strain talks about uh, employees frustrated with changes in health benefits the, the problem the pro- sorry i was gonna say the problem with katie strang's writing for me is I need to work my way up to write, read it. Like I had to wait a week to read the Mickey Coy Calloway thing because I knew it wasn't going to be pretty. Mm. So yeah, that's that's the only problem. It's almost too real. Yeah. So I kind of have. It's to... lengthy too. Like that's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, you want the content. You want to take in every aspect. No, but I'm, but I'm gonna need you, to take you can't take this uh, in five minutes. Um, employees frustrated with a change in health benefits, the pressure to work in the office rather than remotely, and. What feels like, quoting, an implicit directive to attend games despite COVID-19 concerns. So clearly a lot of, uh, we're going to take away your health benefits and then expect you to go work uh, in the office and attend hockey games during a pandemic. I'm, I'm sure that's a recipe for success, uh, no matter how you slice it. The, the one thing that I'm, I'm going to kind of leave off with, it, it's, it's towards the end of the article, um, interviewing a, an employee about how they were they were promoted to wear team merchandise employees when they went to went to went to the office you went you went you went in for your nine to five you're working you know throwing a hat throwing a shirt throwing a sweater whatever it is wear a jersey for fuck's sakes you know it, this isn't a suit suit and tie type of environment right I'd gladly wear the reverse retro every day. yeah that, that that was the that was the sentiment for the entirety of the coyotes existence and a coyotes employee said who who constantly would do this without a second thought it just repulses me now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a, a good uh, end point on the, the subject as, as any. Like, it just, you know, like, if, if this happened to literally any of the other 30 NHL clubs, it's, it's wow, this is crazy. This is nuts. I can't believe it. We're still talking about it. We're still here having this discussion. But it's the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. For the 15th time in 20 years in the desert. I, I, I understand that all of these little things are not a reason to just pick up a team and say, you know what, it doesn't work. we got to move them somewhere else. That doesn't really take care of the problem per se, but it's it's such a running joke with especially you and I about this team moving. But how do you go on from this? How do you how do you go forward? The NHL... Well, it's, it's hard to believe that yeah, it's going to get better. The NHL has, well, uh, on, in, informally has sent the same 
law office that investigated the Dave Talon uh, allegations to investigate the Coyotes. Right. They're they're being investigated by their own league. It's ridiculous. Yeah, which says something because uh, if anyone wouldn't would normally know what's going on with the Coyotes, it's Gary Bettman, but he doesn't seem to know what's going on there, and that tells you all you need to know about that situation, right? Like that's that's kind of the whole thing. My biggest takeaway was it was not even from the article, obviously, because uh, like I said, I haven't read it. Um, was on Puck Soup this week when I, I can't remember if it was Sean or Greg. It was either Sean McIndoe of the Athletic or Greg Wachinski from ESPN that. Um, pointed out that they had had a, a couple conversations with people around the league who had stated, uh, like, identically that they were shocked that the article wasn't way worse than it was. So yeah. this was a good look for the Coyotes yeah. compared to what, and obviously whoever it was couldn't say anything more than that, right? Like, they don't want to get involved. But there's clearly something going on here, something sinister within this organization. And uh, it's worth watching anyway. I think that uh, it's like the Babcock thing in the sense where it's just like, I don't know how this is going to play out. It's worth keeping an eye on. It's unlike the Babcock thing in the sense that this is unlike anything maybe that's ever happened in sports. And I'm genuinely worried about the future of the people who work and play for this organization uh, to see where things are going to go because it sounds like things are very sketchy there. I mean, this is a place where they used to be able to sign free agents and they haven't in a while so i feel like there's a pattern of things that maybe we're just not that familiar with you know yeah it is it is absolutely mind-boggling um that we're still talking about this team in this manner um all these years uh, into the existence of the team look like it's maybe different with ottawa because ottawa was you know a win away from the stanley cup final a few years ago and then sure. everything went so wrong so quick and a team where like you and i grew up with Ottawa being a dominant team. President's right trophies, in the 2000s, like they won President's Trophies. Cup they, Finals. They were, uh, yeah, exactly. 50 goal scores. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like made big trades. And even though it was Ottawa, for some reason people wanted to go and move to Ottawa and play for the Senators. And it was like, I never understood it. But it was like, okay, cool. And then they just kind of, Eugene Melnick lost his way. And, you know, but the thing with the Coyotes is like, the most respectable they've been in my lifetime was for maybe a two or three year window in the early 2010s or like a two or three year window in the early 2000s. And that was it. Like either the team has been a mess or the organization has been a mess. And they've been talking about moving for 17 years now. Mm -hmm. So like even, like even Florida, it just like, look at Florida and the amount of people that they get to their games, right? They like, they have the same amount of people in the fucking stands right now than they would before COVID. And no one ever talks about the Florida Panthers moving other than it's just annoying watching empty seats on TV. That's the only reason. Because Vinny Viola has a structured organization there. Like him or hate him. He's yeah. done a great job. Yeah. And he's not worried about losing a few million dollars no. each year to, you know, keep the dream alive, so to speak. And it's not like millionaires grow on trees, but they kind of do. What they're starting to. Has has no one no one worth a damn wants anything to do with this team? That's the interesting like, thing. What, go, what the hell? What the hell is going on there? That's the interesting. Going back to it about the the ownership group in Arizona is just that. Like the guy's worth over two billion dollars, and he's worried about. He's 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 in the article. He's, he's worried about like uh, no, we can't uh, we can't buy pizza for the uh, the the team in the bubble in Edmonton. No, we're not doing that. Oh, uh, we took a flight 
We took a chartered airline all season long to take our... No, we're not going to pay them. My boss buys us like $100 in pizza like once a week. Like, boggles the mind. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you solve this uh, when you're talking about things going to the to the very top like that. There's There's no solution until this guy gets out of there or hopefully that's the direction that this NHL investigation is heading in uh to you know maybe solve the problem look I, I know there's a lot of resentment from canadian fans about the coyotes because they you know took the jets but hey the jets are back now and i'm i'm one of the few people that i know of anyway that are like uh fuck it like let's make it work like let's just make it work in phoenix i, I feel so bad for that fan base the uh, however small it might be well, i wanted it to work there for a long time too yeah you know, and, and I wanted to work. But it's I... heartbreaking seeing this year in and year out. Yeah, like you, you talk about the early 2010s. There, they had their conference final appearance. I think in 2012, they were owned by the league. They didn't have an owner, mm-hmm. and you're making the conference finals. And that was the best they've been. <sighs> yeah. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Uh, it's annoying. Like, I, it goes, I, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Like I get sick of watching these teams just be a repetitive garbage fucking yeah like repetitive doormat and you know the, the cleveland browns have some like somewhat catapulted their way out of the fucking gutter here but the coyotes just seem to be content with their mediocrity content to the point where there's not even a correlation between who is content with this like it's a different group of people every time that is content with this the only people that want them to be good is the fucking NHL and their fans. Because whoever's owned the team other than the NHL hasn't given a shit. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how they can figure this out. Because, like I said, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Um, this is a owner that is causing a lot of problems in the desert. And it's working its way lower and lower throughout uh, the organization um you know eventually like taylor hall look how quickly he wanted out of town right like eventually you're just gonna not be able to bring in anybody to play hockey for for your organization and and then what well we finished last for the 10th year in a row and the first overall draft pick we just picked won't report to camp so ho-hum business as usual i guess but Mm -hmm. Um, let's keep the depressing vibes on the podcast going and uh, talk about our old, old buddy, Tony D'Angelo. Uh, back in the news. Oh, that's fucking guy again. Back in the news, literally. The New York Post coming out swinging hot. Larry Brooks putting an article do think, out. Do you think if they got uh, Tony D'Angelo and brought him back to the Coyotes that uh, if we just bundled captain. it, if we bundled He'd it all up, no, if we bundled it all up, and uh, had them all shipped off to, like, a remote island off the coast of, like, Indonesia that we could save on shipping rather than doing, like, two different do two different shippings. Just ship them with, with the coyotes and oh. just ship it all off. But the Alex Merlo's not paying for shipping. Or, like, if you had an auction, like, he'd be one more thing, like a police auction, right? You buy, like... Ah, uh, murder seized, happened here, but it's twenty four ninety five. Right, you you buy seized merchandise. Like if the NHL had an auction, just au- auctioned off parts of the Coyotes, and you could auction off Tony D'Angelo. Mm. You know, he he. Well, no, I was gonna say he'd be good in the gritty suit, but there are certain things you don't want to hear gritty say. Oh, that's the nice thing about gritty. He's not allowed to speak. Gritty can take it to parlor. Um, did you read the uh, Larry Brooks article in the New York Post? I did. I there read that go. one. Okay. I read that. I read that one 
because um, I saw that it existed, and before I had seen anyone else say anything about it, I was like, where does he get off? And I wanted to read it, so I read it right away. I, I had to know that one. I didn't need to ramp up for that one. Um, look, I don't, I don't read the New York Post. I'm not from New York. Uh, that should that's shock good. I, that That's the first Larry Brooks article I've read in three years, to yeah. my knowledge. I've never read a Larry Brooks article to begin with. Like I know there's the Larry Brooks that I know from the John Torrell interview side of things. That's the only way that I know who Larry Brooks is. I don't like the content. I like his style of writing. So, like, I've never really been opposed of, of reading him in, in a certain sense. But the words that he's putting on the page make me angry. I just like the order in which he puts them. Hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Sure. You know? Yeah. You're an English major yeah, or something. He's, yeah. a good, he's a good writer, but he's just an asshole. Um, so I went into this very open-minded because i would never read anything by this guy. I've never sure. read anything from this uh, publication. Um, I look. I, I'm going to say it up front. The and, closest thing and... you know about the New York Post is the John John Lane, yeah. right? Yeah, there's a pervert in Queens. Um, <laughs> Beat it, bozo. I think this had to get put out there. I mean, I'm going to start off by saying that at the end of the day, well, there was always going to be this article, right? Yeah, one way of, or another. At the end of the day, the Tony D'Angelo fiasco wasn't just going to go away by itself. He does like as much as it pains me to say this. He deserves to have his say. You know, um, every, everyone should be able to come out and give their side of their story, yeah. give their viewpoint. Uh, that seems to be what this interview was. I am not in the business of trying to figure out who reached out to who. Did his team say to the New York Post, we'd like to say something? And they said, yes, of course, that's a story. Did Larry Brooks reach out to him and say, hey, I love you. I'd love to write something about you. Because I don't want to get into the whole debate over whether or not Larry Brooks is a shitty dude for writing the story or vice versa. But ultimately it was newsworthy. It had to be said for anybody that's pissed off that this is existed in the first place is just ludicrous. Just get over it. That's This is how the news works. Surprise, surprise. Just don't read the news, I guess. End of the day, right? I don't like what's on the local news. No, the no I, don't, I don't agree with you. Um, do I agree with its existence? No. Um... But this article was always going to exist in some form. My issue with this is that I I cannot believe that there is nobody who works at this publication that realized that there are things in this article that gives them a very bad look that their writer's saying, not the Tony D'Angelo's saying. And so, like, there's one paragraph in particular where it's just like, Oof, like I can't I can't believe this is anywhere other than like a blog website where Buddy just hits publish and it just goes out there. You know what I mean? Like there are editors, there are meetings, there are there are several stages that this needs to get passed to exist, and it got past all of them. So um I think the article at the very least should have been majorly restructured. I'm not mad that Tony D'Angelo got his say. Um because I, I don't agree with you that everyone deserves their side of the story, but most people do, and Tony D'Angelo's not shitty enough that he doesn't. He he at least deserves his voice there. I, I'll say that, right? But yeah, it's it's it was uh, it was shocking that this article existed in a, in a sense. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It was it was uh, it blew my mind away that this got published. But I mean, you seem to see shit like this all the time, where it's just like, how the fuck did did that make it out there? It's just kind of surprising from the New York Post, not from a, you know, Blogspot website. 
Um, our sweet, sweet local boy Mark Stahl makes an appearance. He was interviewed. Uh, apparently, he was the only guy that's played with Tony D'Angelo willing to answer the phone that, that day. Didn't completely hate him, yeah. Um, my favorite part of this entire article is the fact that uh, Larry Brooks refers to Mark Stahl by name once and then calls him number 18. Mm, yeah. He doesn't play for the team anymore, bro. Like, Don't you have another yeah. number 18? Going back to it, Larry Brooks <laughs> is a weird dude, though, for sure. Said number 18. Like, did you guys talk about Mark Stahl enough that he post when he was there that people know him as number 18? I, I wouldn't have picked up on that. He's a very folksy writer, that's for sure. He's he's very much, uh, he writes like as if you're having a conversation with a guy at like a fucking, where do they go in New York? Do they go to Dunkin' Donuts there, or is that just strictly a Massachusetts that's, thing? No, that's just Boston. It's just Boston? Yeah, I don't know where they go in, in uh, uh, he goes to Panera. And so, you know, like they're, they're having a bread, and they're talking about their Panera bread. I don't really know what they have at Panera. Mm. Um... But yeah, no, like my my whole issue just sort of <laughs> for those of you who didn't read it, uh, I'm quoting here because I don't want anyone to to think that I'm making this line up. Uh, but Larry Brooks writes, and I quote, "It fit the narrative, didn't it? Or maybe it served the narrative that there was something intrinsically rotten in the MAGA supporter who seven years earlier, as an 18 year old, had been suspended by both the Ontario Hockey League and his Sarnia team for violating the league's." Harassment, abuse, and diversity polity. Not that it makes it any less heinous in nature, but the Post has learned that the slur he directed at a Caucasian teammate was ethnic in nature, not related to race. Like, there's there's no better way to say, I don't even understand what I'm writing about. Like, like what the fuck are you talking about, man? It's ethnic in nature. Like, the whole point of this is that he's shown a pattern of being a disrespectful, hateful little piece of shit. And why would you go and try to find out what the slur was? Like, what does it matter? It's a thing that happened. It's in the past, but it happened. He can own up to it. He can talk about it. Do whatever you want. But why do we need to get specific? It's like the video about his dad, where his dad's there for like 30 seconds being like, oh, yeah, I said the word all the time. I would have got suspended, too but doesn't actually say the word, and it's like, what fucking word? Like, how bad is this word that you say all the time that he got suspended, and you're just like, yeah, I say it every day. Whatever, it's just how I was raised. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was interesting. It, it, it was just the whole thing that this article made it, the way that it did to publish, was the part for me that I was just like, Jesus Christ. Because, like, the whole idea that Tony D'Angelo was going to get some sort of a story and an attempt to appeal or sorry attempt to give his side was always going to exist but the fact that larry brooks wrote an article where it seems like he's on d'angelo's side and is pleading with the audience that they should side with him that was the part i found bizarre because there was a way to write this article where it was very impartial and just kind of gave his part of the story and you decide for yourself and even if you want to root for the guy that's fair but this was very much just like a yeah i have his back too kind of thing and it was uh I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I was shocked about the Larry Brooks part about it, because I don't really uh, know the man, but he seems like a bit of a chud. But, uh, yeah, it was it was not great. I will say this, because I want to try to put a little bit of a positive spin on, on, on this article. We've been very sad to begin the podcast, mm -hmm. so I'm going to try to find the silver lining here. Um, I, I was pleased to see that 
according to the article, D'Angelo owns up to the altercation that took place after the game um, in Pittsburgh uh, with uh, his goaltender, Alex uh, Georgiev. He, he, he does say, you know, you know, things got out of hand. I got heated. Motions got the better of me. That, that's that's a positive, right? That's one positive to take away from, from the article, I guess. Right? Maybe Maybe we can use that and build on it and we can try to be a better person in the future and not have these problems creep up again, perhaps? Maybe all the characters say it's a bit Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's, um, y- yeah, it's, um, yeah. Pierre Lebron got Mike Babcock another job. Perhaps uh, Larry Brooks can do the same for... Tony D'Angelo. Look, the kid's going to play hockey again in the National Hockey League. There's no two ways about it. It's just a matter of when, not if, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, might yeah, not, might not I, be this I still season, maintain but... that I, I'd be shocked this year just because yeah. of the framework of his contract. Sure. It's not worth the risk. Um, but if it comes at a point where it's a free agent signing and it's 700 k for a year, yeah, he might be worth the, the, the risk. You know, we, I've seen... I've seen worse hockey players play uh, on a one-year 700K deal that didn't work out. So Yeah, that's for sure. Um, okay, enough about the New York Post. Um, Thank God. All right, we're going to have some fun rest of the way. We're going to try to talk about some, yeah, uh, some good I, things. I remember like looking at this breakdown being yeah. like, wow, this is a fun episode. And I guess I skipped over yeah. like two or three of the first topics. <laughs> so I just noticed the bulk of the back. <laughs> Mike Dad Babcock, Lake Tahoe melts. Arizona is in hot water with Katie String. Tony D'Angelo back in the news. How how bad wow. does it say about a week of news where we've talked about four subjects and the fact that the fucking ice melted at the outdoor game is the happiest topic? It was a beautiful backdrop. <laughs> it was like, well, it, at least people got a nice kayak out of the day. Like the, the fans got more exactly. of a workout than any of the fucking players did this afternoon. <laughs> players work the least hard there's yeah. like a hundred people there today between the grounds crew and the writers and the broadcasters and the players players put in the least work there you go all right good four things we were wrong about we're going to talk about uh four things each that we went into this season thinking was uh <laughs> going to be really cool really hip really fun i love now that you do Slam the breakdowns dunks. i never know what's coming like i'm just as shocked as the listener oh yeah i forgot okay all right cool. uh, i'm gonna go first number one martin jones when he, no oh sorry that was last season yeah um yeah all right four things we were wrong about you want to go first Josh? should i go first how, yeah, how do you want to play well, this I think it's important for us to own up to maybe uh, some takes that we had that just we're ready we're ready to mail it in. We're only right? human, and so oh yeah, well don't don't get me wrong. I, and this is only for this year. Like if people at home are probably like, wow, this ought to be good. Like we're not even going back to previous seasons. We're just talking about so far, like eight episodes into this season, what have we been wrong about so far? You know what I mean? Um, I'll I'll go first, I guess. Oh the, sure. The first thing I've got here, <clears throat> um. I didn't think there was a shot in hell the season would be good to go by January 14th, and there's probably a reason that it shouldn't have been, but uh, they got they got started on time. They set a date. They said they were going to do it. I said there was a 0% chance, and then they did it. And, you know, uh, sure, they've had 30 million games postponed to uh, a later date that doesn't exist because the season has to be done by another certain date that they've set a deadline for. And, you know, sure, they've had... Uh, Players uh, come close to dying, apparently, uh, from COVID this season. 
Um, but but yeah, they got it started on time for sure. <laughs> they uh, they haven't stopped since. Did you read they're, that story? They're still going. Restore the Realign. Yeah. Like, he thought he was going to die. Oh, he's playing Buffalo. Well, I mean, he thought he was going to die for a reason. That he Look, he found a very convenient excuse to get out of the lineup you know, and you know <laughs> take the, a few weeks off. You know what the fucking shittiest part about that whole thing is just like, I mean, first off, wish Rasmus Ristolainen all the best because I don't want to hear any of that kind of that kind of a story. I don't want to hear anyone having that sort of negative sort of um, response to, to this virus and anything like that. Anyone who comes out of it, I, you know, you want to see them come out healthier than they were before. And it doesn't sound like Risto feels that way right now, so hopefully he gets back to feeling like he was in perfect form. Having said that, this is obviously a guy that I don't think is a particularly good hockey player. He had been fantastic till he was out. Granted, in a small sample size. But he was putting up, like, underlying numbers like we had never seen him have an eight-game stretch like that before. It's like, holy shit, I think Risto's, like, figured it out. And, you like, you watch their games, and he's, like, one of their only bright spots out there. And then this happens. You know what I mean? Like, it looked like he was, like, going to come out and out of the woodworks and be the defenseman that we thought he was going to be five years ago. So hopefully he recovers, because I'd like to see that. Because I, as much as I shit on him, I do think he's a fun defenseman. Like, I would like to see him be good. So he basically could be Dustin Bufflin if he knew how to play defense. Vladimir Sabotka, Ryan O'Reilly, Robin Lanner, Ristolainen. They are all just guys that want out of Buffalo. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a convenient excuse. He's, he's not actually dying. He's fine. Patrick Berglund. <clears throat> yeah, him too. There you go. <laughs> not too good. Uh, four things I was wrong about. Uh, the first one, uh, the well, at this point. At this point, I'm wrong about it. No, no, no. This this has got to be a take that you're ready to you're ready to say you were wrong. Okay. See, mine I was All wrong right. about a okay. month ago. I'll, 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 the, the Chicago freaking Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? Like, I had thought about saying this too, but like in your in your defense, you did come into the season thinking that their goaltending tandem was going to be Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, mm-hmm. and little did we know there was a guy who existed by the name of Kevin Lankinen, who's... I still don't really know who that is. He's good. I, apparently. He's good. Yeah. I mean, you watch the games and he's kind of a mess. It's like if Hasek had a lot of size, he's, he's yeah. kind of a mess, but uh, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, I had them last in the division. That includes the Detroit Red Wings. So, I I, I think even yeah. if they lost every game the rest of the way, you thought they were going to be catastrophically bad. They'll still finish ahead of Nashville and Detroit, which is insane to me. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'll own that. Yeah, they, they have more wins now than I thought they would have all season. How many do they have now? Nine. Eight? They have nine wins. Yeah. yeah, they're sitting third in the division. I knew, I knew they were not. They're like, ahead I, of the Lightning. They were mid pack. Like yeah. they've they've played a lot more games, but they're <laughs> technically ahead of Lightning right now. Yeah, yeah. The next thing I was wrong about, I I thought the Lightning were going to make the playoffs, and they're not going. No, I'm just kidding. Um, wow, <laughs> not going to happen. Mm. Um, no. The um the second thing I'm I'm wrong about, and I am uh I don't I'm not trying to like make it sound like I have an excuse for all these things that I'm wrong about, but I was very on record saying like I didn't know what the hell was going to happen in this division. But there is, I'm ready to say it, there is no conceivable way to me that the Vancouver Canucks finish third in that division. Like, there, there is no way. They've played 21 games. They have 35 games left. They don't have a lot of games left. They're more than a third of the way through their year. And they're fucking terrible. Like, they're awful. Their, their uh, best defenseman has been Nate Schmidt, who every single game 
makes two or three catastrophically bad uh, mistakes. Uh, Quinn Hughes, who does not look like he's ever played defense in his life and all of a sudden uh, is broken. Uh, they have Tyler Myers, who's terrible. Edler, who uh, is ready to be shot into the sun. That's just their defense. Put it, uh, couple it with the fact that, like, Elias Patterson wasn't playing very well to start the year. When they do play decent defense, Thatcher Demko lets in an awkward goal, or Brayden Holtby lets in an awkward goal, deflates a fucking team. You got Brayden Holtby staring down JT Miller after goals. They're they're a disaster. Holtby An absolute Nimble. disaster. Be quick. Yeah. Mm. Um, they're not good. Uh, they're tied with the Flames for fifth, but they've played four more games, and I feel a lot better about the Flames in that situation than I do the Canucks. So That's fair. Yeah, I was wrong about the Canucks. If they finish third, um, I'll, I'll buy you a pizza. Hey, look, we were, we, we were both wrong about the Canucks. I, uh, <clears throat> it's not on my list, but I, I did have at one point Elias Pettersson winning the heart. I did change that for our prediction episode, but uh, he was on my short list. I don't even really, like, I honestly, I feel like the reason I ended up deciding to put them third was I thought that Demko was going to be better. I thought Schmidt was going to make a bigger difference, but most importantly, I thought Travis Green was going to outweigh all the problems with their roster, and uh, I'm not blaming him, but he certainly hasn't done that, so. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that I am uh, wrong about sure. uh, is uh, Taylor Hall. <laughs> I, I thought this was the perfect fit for him in Buffalo because mm-hmm. you're going to go in, you're going to put up 40 goals. Well, not 40 in this season, but who who could ever score 40 goals in a season like this? Um, he was going to go into Buffalo. He's going to put up a bunch of goals playing on the wing of Jack Eichel. And then... The Sabres would either make the playoffs and life would be great, or he'd get flipped at the deadline because he's on a one-year deal. And then he would get to chase a cup, and everything would be great. And the Buffalo Sabres would get a whole bunch of whole bunch of things back. You get a whole bunch of picks, you get a whole bunch of little prospects, or you get another player back that maybe you can spot into your lineup down the road. But anyway, any way you slice it, you're going to get something out of your Taylor Hall signing. He's not even on Jack Eichel's line. Mm-hmm. The points aren't coming. He's got one goal. He's got one goal. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that won the Hart Trophy a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He's got an eight million dollar cap hit. Who's picking that up at the deadline? Probably, probably someone, but it's going to have to be retained. You're probably not getting anywhere near what you probably thought you were going to get at the deadline for this guy. At this rate, he he's got to pick it up. I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if it's just the chemistry's off in Buffalo. They're not a great team, but you'd expect him to click with these guys and. He just doesn't have it. I mean, before the year, I mean, this isn't this isn't a I was right segment, but I like mm. I do want to kind of talk about the Taylor Hall thing just briefly. Is that you know coming into the year, like I, I even I was one of those people that said, yeah, like with Jack Eichel, it stands to reason he's going to put up a decent amount of points, right? Yeah. But I've been on record before saying that I don't think Taylor Hall is good enough anymore to be a played driving winger like he's not he's not a first line winger in the sense that he's the best player on the line you know what I mean like his centerman has to do a lot of the work like I said one of the only teams that I thought was going to be a decent fit for him would have been Montreal because he would be the best player on the line but also on a line that kind of works itself out you know I I've kind of long been on this this theory that I don't think Taylor Hall's as good as uh as good as he used to be but I thought he was better than this it's early yet, like, but but he, but he has been abysmal so far this year. 
he had he was a point per game guy in New Jersey mm-hmm. with nothing around him. Mm-hmm. How quickly that fell off. He had he had twenty five points in those thirty games of the Devils before they flipped him. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty good with Arizona, twenty seven and thirty five down the stretch. Like he's yeah he's got nine points, but th- this this is a this is a guy that like again like I thought he'd be playing with Jack Eichel. He's not, which is part of the problem. But he should be putting the puck in it. He's got one goal. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I blew it. Yeah, nine points, but keeping in mind he got off to a good start. It, it, it it's the good it's news good. is that they don't have um, anything invested in Taylor Hall yet. They have to be very careful about what they do invest in him. I think at this stage because I, I I'm curious to see what happens there. Though, but but where I'm going with this is I think that the Sabers have a tendency to uh, wrongfully evaluate players. I, I realize that's a hot take. Mm-hmm. You know, Casey Middlestad, Kyle Oposo, Rasmus Ristolainen. Who among us could ever think that Casey Middlestad was going to be a good player? Jeff Skinner. You know, mm. which brings us to uh, a mini segment within our segment, uh, James. A mini segment within our segment. Okay. A, mi- a mini segment. So now that everyone's segment. confused, go okay. on. Uh, you're familiar with "fuck Mary Kill." Uh, "Fuck Mary Kill." The, I, don't, I don't condone that language. The the Carlson contract, the Bobrovsky contract, the Skinner contract. Which go. Carlson? Eric. Okay. Carlson, Bobrovsky, and Skinner. Skinner. Fuck Mary Kill. All right. I wow. Yeah. Um, well, I, I kill the Skinner. Okay. Yeah. There's okay. there's no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. Here's here's my thought. Mm. I fucked the Bobrovsky contract because that was that was so wild to begin with that you know what I mean. I feel like that contract's maybe a little bit of freaking 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 the sheets there. You know what I mean. I married the Carlson contract because I'm willing to go down down through well, the record Jimmy books. Ben isn't. To, to, <laughs> I'm willing to to go through eternity defending my sweet, sweet boy, Eric Carlson, and just being like, you know what? They thought they were close to a cup. Eric Carlson, like, very recently before that, had been, like, the best defenseman in the league and maybe the best player in the world for a little bit. And I, I defend it because I, I think they knew what they were doing, and I, I just, it, it you know, whatever. Eric's mint. It's a good guy. You want you that he's a quality you want in a married partner. I think he's a type of person. So I, yeah. yeah, fuck the Bobrovsky contract because it's wild, and you kill the Skinner contract because it's useless. Yeah, Bobrovsky's two years older. He's getting a lot more million dollars per year. Yeah, you probably fucked the Bobrovsky one, even even in the sense that like for one night only, perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps and it's the best night of your life. To be quite honest with you, I think that's all Florida was thinking about. Was yeah. like, you know what? We're going to get to put a jersey on this fucking guy. Yeah, but you know you're going to have to give him $70 million to play a net for you for seven years, right? Yeah, until yeah. until like 2026, he's going to be on your team? Yeah. 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 Two-time Vezda winner. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like Eric Carlson. I think there's probably potential for a, a rebound. Like, he could be the 30th. 30- he could be the 34-year-old that he's not putting up 40 points anymore, but he's 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 wise in different ways. See, the ironic he cuts his hair. The interesting thing about the Bobrovsky <laughs> one was that I thought Florida wasn't good enough to make the Bobrovsky contract make sense, and that they were not good enough to support him, and that the jump was just not going to work for his play style and everything like that. What I hadn't accounted for was that Florida would actually be good 
and that Bobrovsky would still be a fucking flaming pile of dog. Hey, shit. he's five one and one, sir. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's like he's like an eight ten and a and a he he's got like a goals he's got a goals against average of like seven or something. Like it's it's fucked. It's nuts. Hey, those are Grant Fear numbers right there. That guy's got five cup rings. That's so. true. That's true. Um, the Russian Grant Fear. Yeah. The third thing that I was wrong about, um, and I'm not really sure I committed to the take, but I flirted with it, and I was wrong enough. I was wrong enough to flirt with it. Uh, Jacob Markstrom has looked very, very good in Calgary. I thought mm. uh, he's had his moments of mistakes, but I think that they have won games where they had absolutely no business winning this year, and. Um, Ironically, he's the thing holding them in games, and I thought that uh, that he was just going to be just another goalie for them. But he actually has been very good, very comfortable so far this year. Um, the other night against Vancouver aside, I think. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I was wrong. I flirted with the idea that he would be one of those goalies that maybe was more of a system goaltender. I am ready to admit that he is not. He's good. I like all this growth. I like that we're talking this Talking this out, you know? I've always wanted to do this segment. It's just I've never wanted to put in the work to go back and find out these bad takes. But, like, what what we should do at some point is go back to that first season predictions episode, listen to it again, and just talk about how hilarious some of the takes were looking back on them three years later, you know? Martin Jones and Matt Murray. Yeah. yeah that's right. Um, that's, where, where, where are they now? now? Yeah. Uh, my third thing that at I was wrong your about. goalie's uh, probably going to be in the league next year. I don't know if mine is. Because Ottawa is being demoted? That's, yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Yes, I would not speak ill of Matt Murray on this podcast. The third thing that I was wrong about was that the Boston Bruins were going to take a big old step back this year. Mm. And apparently they took one giant leap forward. Uh, <laughs> they're sitting at 10-3-2. Where, where did you have them? I had them missing the playoffs. Oh, okay. Like, I... Yeah, that's, I, that's a spicy meatball. Like, their defense... On paper, no, I get it. It's not good. <laughs> it's bad. No, I bad. get it. I get <laughs> they it. were missing Pasternak for the first few weeks. I figured uh, between those two things, well, they'll drop down far enough. They'll rebound, but like they won't make enough ground back up to. Again, in your defense, Pasternak was supposed to be coming back now. Yeah, I know. And he came back like <laughs> he came back. He missed like two, two weeks games. Ago. And they're yeah. like, yeah, he's just back now. Yeah. So. So yeah, they are currently leading the division. The and mass mutual are, are what. One, They're leading the two, they have the fourth best points percentage in the league. So that's that's great. That's great. I won't mention who is who is in first, but you know they're 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 up there. So who is in first? <clears throat> Maybe they're in first for points percentage. Oh, they were seven seventy eight oh, before this game. Wow. So then they just won. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Wait, that was before this game. Yeah. Fuck, they're good. Um. My last uh, thing I was wrong about, and it it could, I guess, conceivably come true. I'm ha- hanging on to a thread here. I'm I still stand by our hanging Panarin. by a moment here with you. I stand by Panarin. The I'm definitely wrong about him winning the Art Ross. Uh, he's not going to win the Art Ross, but I'm not ready to mail in on the Hart Trophy yet, and therefore I'm just kind of I'm standing by him right now. I'm not willing to mail it in on Alexis Lafreniere for the Calder yet. Because mm. I think now that he's playing with Panarin and, and Zabinijad, it might only be a matter of time. Because those three guys were kind of all separate. Now they're together. I think they're going to get going. You know, 
But I don't think that Alexander Ovechkin is going to win the Rocket Richard. Interesting. At this stage. What gives you that incentive? Um, Austin Matthews has 18 goals so far this year. Ovechkin missed uh, five or six games because of COVID protocols. Hanging he, with the boys. I don't even know where he is on the goal. Doing list. lines with not, Kuznetsov. He's not. Line rushes. I don't even see him. Oh, there he is. Uh, he's 78th in the league in goals. He has five in uh, 12 games. So he's still going to have a fine season, but I just I find it hard to believe that over the course of Capitals have, what, uh, 38 games left? I find it hard to believe that he's going to close a 13-goal gap on Austin Matthews at this stage. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I was wrong about that. Um, I should have been the homer and taken my guy, but I didn't. So Yeah. yeah. What an idiot. Yeah. It's okay, man. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, how many goals is Ovechkin going to miss out on the Gretzky record by? Uh-huh, I'll get it. 18? He's going to miss by 18. I'll get it. Mm. Got it. It'd be funny if he missed by like maybe four goals mm-hmm. and he had to retire at the end of a year because he was just so cooked. Mm. And it's like, man, if only he had played six more games in his NHL yeah. career. If only there wasn't if only, half a lockout if only there was, in a pandemic. Or if there were six games in that COVID season where he would have actually played, like, man. Yeah. Man. Yeah. What could have or, been? or if he didn't get penalized for skipping the All Star game. <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd stand by that. I wouldn't go to that shit. Either. Right, but you shouldn't be penalized for it. Um, eh, whatever. The last thing that I got wrong, um, this is the last thing. I've got everything else yeah, right. I'm I am else. absolutely perfect. I'm batting stand by 880 else. the rest of the way. Um, Pretty good. My Jack Adams pick. Do you remember who I picked for the Jack Adams? Um, was it Jacques Martin? No, it was not. Mm. 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 It's Dean Evison. I thought Dean Evison was going to win the Jack Adams Trophy. You picked Dean. I fucking Dean Evison. You picked Dean Evison to win the Jack Adams? I did. Did you put money in Vegas on that? Because the odds probably, that's like a probably a 10,000 to 1 payoff. Look, I was swinging for the fences. I had two outs in the bottom of the ninth. I was just trying to get on base. Didn't Mm. happen. You know, a lot of people that throw their money away betting because they throw it like they place all these big bets and they lose and they just get in deep. I, I throw my money away micro betting. Like, I love just throwing $1 on something that has, like, insane mm. payouts, but it's, like, not going to happen. Mm. So, like, they slowly bleed me dry. So, I'm, all I'm saying is if you do one of those on Dean Evison, it, it probably pay out, like, twelve grand. Oh, well, that's good point, to know. If you put, like, two bucks on it or something. Oh, I like that. So, I'm okay with that. That's pretty good. Um, pretty good. There you go. That's what we were wrong about. So far, anyway. <laughs> no, that's it. So, okay. That's all I'm owning up to. So, so, how many of your... Do you have your award predictions in front of you? I do. So, we did eight of them, right? Hart, uh, Morris, Hart Ross, yeah. Ross, Norris, Calder, Selke, Vesna, Calder, Adams. Yeah, yeah. How many of those do you think now, Yeah. with the benefit of a third of season's hindsight, Yeah. how many of those do you think you're going to get right still? Well, I the guy that I picked for the Art Ross is currently leading the league in points. Sorry, I'm on track there. Okay. Uh, the guy I picked to win the Rocket is currently leading goals, so I'm I'm on track there. Right. Uh, the guy that I picked to win the Heart is also the guy that's winning the goals race, so I feel pretty good about that. Although okay. it could go either way, I guess. Okay. Uh, the Calder is tough. Lafreniere obviously not doing well is is helping me with my Tim Stutzel pick, who I think is off to a really good start. Oh, Tim Stutzle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the one and the same. 
Um, I uh, I don't love my Zach Wierenski has COVID and is injured the whole season for the Norris pick. Ooh. Nor do I like my uh, Jack Adams pick, as I just mentioned. Uh, I will die on the sword uh, of my Mark Stone winning the Selkie and, and until he's out of the league. <laughs> uh, and, and I guess my hot take that's still oh, up for... Oh, oh, your hot take? Well, no, Dean Everson was in your hot take. Oh, no, 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 baby. We got a hotter, a spicier uh, I, take I, I guess that. it's not a hot take, but it, it, it's sure. it's more of a take than the rest of these, except for the Dean Harrison thing. Um, I'm, I'm not feeling bad, but I'm not feeling great about my Carter Hart for Vesna draw pick. Ooh. I mean, if anyone's going to have a strong run at any given time, Carter Hart's not a bad guy to bet yeah. against. Yeah. But he has been, he has been not he, good. He's been okay. Start. He's been okay. I own him in fantasy. He has been not good. I had Panarin winning the heart, which I don't think is going to happen. Mm. I have Maurice Richard going to uh, Ovechkin, which isn't going to happen. happen. I have Panarin for the Art Ross, uh, which Probably which isn't going to happen. Uh, Ovechkin and Panarin for sure, uh, for those two, aren't going to happen. I, I'm still not completely convinced that Panarin's completely out of the heart race. Um, I have Hedman winning the Norris, which I don't feel terrible about. Yeah, that's pretty good. I have Bergeron winning the Selkie, which I don't feel terrible about. I have uh, Gibson winning the Vesna, which is in the realm of possibility for uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Lafreniere winning the Calder, which doesn't look good, mm-hmm. but it's not uh, a total bust. Worse. Could be worse. And I do have La- Laviolette winning the Jack Adams, which is eh, it's on the table, mm-hmm. but he's not a favorite or could, anything. Could so. be there. Yeah. Uh, any division winners that you think are absolutely ridiculous looking back on it? Probably. I got to be honest with you. I still think my standings uh, are are oh, on point. are all still like. Vancouver finishing third in the North is like the one thing that for sure isn't going to happen. I, are we going to talk about the North now? Is yeah, that, that, that's now? that's what's on. Yeah, contact. yeah. So I mean, yeah, I guess now is is good time any maybe to to get in. We were going to talk about the North division North specifically, division. but before we Canada. get to the North, I guess uh, like you wanted to talk about any division leaders that maybe I thought was uh, that was just out of out of whack for you. I yeah, um, I guess it was. I guess most of the division leaders were slam dunks. Yeah, well, I mean, I had I had I had Washington. Same. First, oh no, no, I didn't. No, I had Washington, Philadelphia, Boston Rangers were the what's the top four mm. in the Much for me, uh, <laughs> and it's currently Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, Pittsburgh in that order. I don't, I don't feel terrible about my predictions in that division though. Like I still feel fairly confident that Washington might come out on top there. They've had really bad goaltending, and um, I do expect that that will turn around once Samsonov's back in and healthy. I do expect that they would be a team that might be in the market for a goaltender, and there more than likely will be some teams that are willing to move goaltenders this year. Um, it's just something that they're going to have to get on sooner rather than later if they're hoping to kind of shore up that position. But for now, I, I, I don't feel terrible about Washington. I like, in the games that I've watched out of them, they strongly outplay whoever they're playing, and then they just don't get the group saves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their, their defense is great, so I'm not going to blame them either. Um, so I don't, I don't feel terrible in that division in the Much. Do you want to talk about the Much at all? Uh, I, I had Philly winning it. Uh, yeah. They're they're sitting pretty in second, I guess. Like I said, I thought Boston was taking a, a big old step backwards. The Devils are uh, kind of surprising me in, in the sense that like I did have them dead last in that division, and they have missed a lot of time. I, I think they've played the fewest games in the league. They are still one of the only teams I have yet to watch a minute of this year. Yeah, if, um, if you go I'm, by, I'm told they're fun as hell, so I'm excited to watch them. Hopefully this week, because I do own Blackwood in two week, two leagues now. 
so I will likely watch some of their games now. They're 6-4-2, which has them 7th in the division, but if you go by points percentage, they jump two spots, and they're sitting right behind the Penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. If, if they get a... The, the shitty thing here for the Devils, though, is, is like, like I said, fewest games played. They have to play so many in such a short period of time that I, I think that they could fall back off the rails come yeah. come the end of the season. So I don't really know how much room they're going to have to improve. I think they have, they have to kind of bet on a couple of those teams ahead of them taking a step back as well. So uh, that's the big surprise for me in the Mass Mutual. Okay. Um, how about the Disco Tech? The the Disco Tech division. Uh, the COVID division. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, like I, I talked about Chicago being a big surprise. Um, Shitty crack. I um, I think everything else is pretty much going how I thought. Tampa not rolling over everybody quite as now, easily. I I did leave. Oh, an interesting one in the in the Discover Central division, as we're admitting our faults and things that we were wrong about. I have the Florida Panthers finishing fifth hmm. or sixth or something like I that. I fifth, yeah. I, 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 I am a hater. I still don't believe that they're as good as they have been. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is playing out of his mind. Uh, I've never seen this version of Jonathan Huberdeau ever, and he's been in the league for a while. Uh, Barkov is playing probably his best hockey of his career, which I think is a little more sustainable than, than Huberto. Uh, I don't think Chris Dreger is sustainable, and I don't really think that their system is exactly why they're having um, success keeping the puck out. I'm sure think that they know how to score goals, but I don't know how long it's going to last. So I, I'm not ready to say that I'm wrong there yet, but it certainly looks like I'm, I'm going to be because... Uh, I had them winning, what, I had them sixth, maybe? So I had them winning, like, 24 games this year, and they are, have already won 11 in 16. So yeah. they're and well John, on their way. Jonathan Huberto leading the league in shooting percentage. It's going to come down. And I, I like Huberto. Like, I'm a guy that thinks he's... He's looked very good. Really good. Yeah. But he's playing well above his uh, his ceiling as it stands. So that that's a fair one. They, they are doing a little better than I, I expected them to do. I, I think Dallas is getting a rough... A rough go of it between COVID and then the whole state shutting down because of uh, the snow. Um, and then on top of that, like let's not forget, they haven't gotten a single game from their starting goaltender yet. So if they can get it going quickly. like The funny thing is that all of these delays for Dallas is kind of helping them. Because if Ben Bishop can come back sooner in the schedule and play more of their games at the level that we expect from him, I think they're going to be great. So the longer they can kind of kick the the games down the road, almost helps them. That is, if you're getting the same Ben Bishop. See, the funny thing with with I do agree with you in a little bit there. the the long The longer you wait, the longer you make an older athlete wait, the more I kind of worry about what you're going to get out of them. And Dallas is pretty old, so that's my only concern with them. Like, I mean, Heiskanen aside, right? Like, their sure. core is fairly old. But you do have a point. Like Bishop Bishop might get healthy, come back, go on a run. They still have Tyler Sagan sitting at home at his home in Canada. He hasn't even joined the team yet, but I mean... Oh, I didn't realize that. Conceivably, yeah, he's not even with the team yet. He's not even close. So, you know, that's a thing that is hopefully going to happen this uh-huh. year. He'll be back, and hopefully he's still Tyler Sagan, but there's questions to be had there. So, yeah, I don't know. The the Discover Central's been interesting just because of the games played, right? Like, you've got Detroit that's played 20, and Dallas has played 12. Mm-hmm. So how do you judge this division so far? <laughs> Detroit's like, still behind them. Like, if you sort by points percentage, it's <laughs> it looks a lot different than yeah. when you sort by points. Yeah. That's kind of the big thing. 
yeah, Detroit's uh, not not good, but mm. better than I thought they were going to be. Anyway, mm. give them that much. Uh, you want to say anything more about the discotheque? Nah, the discotheque, no. Uh, and then we got the uh, the Han the Hanzi the Hanzo Hanslanda division, the Corolla, uh, the Corolla division. Um, yeah, better than the Corona division. Anyway. Uh, I had Vegas winning the division, Colorado in second, St. Louis third, Arizona fourth. Uh, currently, it is St. Louis first, Vegas second, Colorado third, and uh, Kings are in fourth. Yeah, I, I still feel reasonably good about my predictions. If you sort by points percentage, uh, it's Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota. Which is what I had. That was the order I had. Which I yeah. think is what a lot of people had. Uh, Minnesota is another team where I had them being bad, and they've been better than bad. They've been 500. Um, yeah, like they're better than, than horrible, but I'm still I'm still skeptical. The one thing I think that's maybe a good sign for Minnesota is that, uh, hear me out, is that Jared Spurgeon has been uh, horrible this year. And uh, although I don't think he's as good as people think he is, he's certainly a like number two defenseman, number one defenseman, and he hasn't been that this year. So I'm I'm thinking that now that he missed a little bit of time again there, I'm thinking he'll he'll be okay once he kind of settles back in. Uh, this is one division where it's just like a you know what could be if if certain injuries go the other way kind of thing because all these teams are kind of banged up mm. and have key guys out, yeah. and it's going to be interesting to see what happens if and when all these teams are healthy. Uh, Vegas Gold Knights were real happy they hung on to Mark Andre Fleury this year. So no shit. Yeah, no shit. Um, one thing I didn't mention. He looked very good in the first period of the Lake Tahoe game. The uh. second and third it remains to be seen. <laughs> we it are still be, waiting for the second period. It will be many hours after his bedtime when uh, when they play <laughs> after we've recorded, but before this comes out. But we've already seen a third of the game. Uh, this is like Tenet, kind of. It's just all like non-linear. We're an hour and a half into recording. We're about a half hour away from Puck Shop. <laughs> like we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on the yeah. admission report. Somewhere, Rutledge Wood is still golfing on yeah. the 17th fucking hole of. Uh... One thing I forgot to slip in for the uh, Mass Mutual Division was the the Devils announced uh, today their captain Nico Hischier. Oh yes, uh, his first game of the season. Cool reveal. Comes out, yeah, we're in the sea. Very, cool very neat, uh, very cool. Good pick. Uh, at the end of the day, like I, I remember, it's we right talked pick. about the. I think we're batting a hundred percent on the uh, captain choices that have been made to this point. So who doesn't have a captain still? The Rangers don't. Detroit. Det- no, no, Detroit. Detroit Larkin. Larkin, yeah, you're right. Um, Ottawa. Rangers. Uh, Ottawa. That. That might is? be it. Yeah. Huh. Depends on. <clears throat> depends on literally you want to get about Chicago. Well. And I mean, the thing was, I don't know if we picked anyone with Ottawa. I mean, we didn't. We probably uh, we we stood pat. I think probably said Kachuk or, or Shabbat kind of thing. If if it was going to be anything, I, but it was hard to say. I think when we recorded, the Sens had come out and said that they weren't naming a captain. Oh, okay. So we kind of. I went Zabinajad with the Rangers, which I'm starting to have my doubts there because he needs a new contract at the end of the year, and he mm-hmm. has been terrible. Yeah, this not, year, not too good. So not too good. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that leaves us with the North. The North. We want to talk about the North. Canada. Yeah. That's where yeah. We live. Now. Um, it's not that I'm opposed to talking about it, okay. but you did mention you wanted to talk about the North tonight, and I had no idea specifically why, uh, if it w- if anything other than the fact that just most of our listeners are watching this division. So. Yeah, pretty much. Like, okay. uh, I, I think, I, <laughs> okay. think I, just, I texted you. I was just making sure I wasn't missing a glaringly obvious conversation. I, I texted you yesterday, which is now two days ago, and we're deeper into the But tenor. also somehow yeah. tomorrow. Um, 
uh, I texted you about how there really just wasn't a lot of storylines, and, and here's some fun ideas that we can talk about. And then Saturday gave us Saturday news dump. 18 new yeah. storylines, so yeah. this just kind of stayed on. Yeah. But so the Scotia North, I, I, let, let's go top to bottom because <clears throat> you know uh, it's it's more fun that way, right? It's not about who's at the top; it's who's at the bottom. Top now we're here. Exactly. So I, I just want to get like a, a quick like one minute or less, just your thoughts on the team and how they performed this season. Maybe some interesting storylines. Maybe some moves that they've made, moves that sh- they should make. Um, yada yada yada. Because at the end of the day, uh, I, I can I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm watching. Uh, 98% of the North Division games that have been going on, um, I've been paying attention to this division very closely, as I'm sure a lot of Canadian hockey fans have been. Yeah, so, I, I'd imagine I've seen probably 70% of the games. Hmm. I, a few of the West Coast games have, have... Like, I've watched Vancouver probably the least of any team because they're a mess. Yeah. I, I can't watch it. At least with Ottawa, I get the, I get the hope. Hmm. You know? For sure. You know what I mean? Like, they're young. They got interesting guys that I want to watch. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I'll just start with Ottawa here. Like, yeah, you know, Ottawa. like, like I, I, I even Seven. just to get basic and, and to talk about the team that I cheer for, like, I miss Connor Brown. I like Connor Brown. I wish him all the best in, in Ottawa, and I'd love seeing him score even when it's against Toronto. So, um, you know, like, he's a reason for me to tune in. I've always been a huge Derek Stepan fan, and I really, really, I really don't know why. Interesting. I just, I always have. He's always been one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, so I, I'm rooting for him in Ottawa, even though I don't think he's going to finish the year there. I think he's going to get dealt back somewhere closer to his family. You know, it, it, it's been tough to watch um, Murray this year. I don't really know what to make of him right now. I just oh, he looked great uh, in the the game on what was it Thursday night. He has his moments. Wednesday night. It was Wednesday night. He looked really good. It was a 2-1 hockey game. He he just he doesn't look comfortable. And um, he hasn't looked comfortable for a while. We don't really need to get into mm-hmm. the situation. But, I mean, he's he obviously had um, something that kept him away from the game for a little bit there. And I'm not trying to make that narrative a thing because there's no one. I don't, I don't want that kind of stuff to be a narrative. But, like, he hasn't looked great since that happened. And... I don't know if it's a comfort thing. I don't know if it's a coincidence thing. Again, goes back to my theory where I think there is something to be said for goaltenders in the National Hockey League when they go to a new team. Sometimes it is just a catastrophic fit. And there is such a thing as a system goaltender, just like there is a system quarterback. And maybe he is a system goaltender. And now he's just in a somewhat, and okay, I'll just say it, a mess of a system in Ottawa. Like a horrible coaching job there. And um, maybe he's just falling victim to that, and he just hasn't looked very good there. So I don't know. It's but they're compelling. Like I've watched them a decent amount. There's no way in hell they don't finish last in this division. Like they they are just a they're just a mess. They work really hard. They got a lot of guys there that are fighting for their NHL lives in a sense. Uh, there are a lot of guys there that are expected to be the future of this team, and it's a lot of pressure to put on them. So they're working hard. Like they're trying their asses off, man. But yeah. I've never watched a team where it's just like they fall over each other uh, on a two-on-one rush somehow, and it's just like, you know what I mean? Like they are the bad news bears some nights, and it's it's kind of a shame. But um, they have a bright future. I have no question about that. I I'm, yep. I don't know how it's going to work out with Eugene Melnick in the long term, 
but they have a lot of good fucking young players. So yeah, uh, Tim Stutzel has been a delight to watch. He's he seems great. to get better every every time I see him on the ice. Uh, real quick on Matt Murray, like I hear what you're saying about the the system goalie thing. I, I, I don't. He seemed to lose the system in Pittsburgh before the trade. So I know I know you don't want to make the the narrative a narrative, but something's off. And I don't know if it's I don't know maybe it's just being in Ottawa in in a bad situation. You know if if he went maybe literally anywhere else in the league, he's looking different. But uh, he doesn't look it's confident tough. right now. No, no, he doesn't. And he wasn't exactly coming in with. Maybe he should wear his cup rings. Well, he's playing in that, you know, maybe that'll yeah. help. Yeah, he should. He is, too. Uh, Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Canucks sitting in sixth place, the most games played in the division with 21. Yeah, they're a tire fire, too. Yeah. Currently tied with the Calgary Flames for points. So I, don't much to, I don't really have much to say with Vancouver. Like, they, they I, I already talked about it before, but, like, their goaltending hasn't been good, uh-huh. as, as I kind of wondered if it would be. Um, I... I kind of just had to throw a dart at the board, putting them in third. Like, I, I really don't know what the hell I was thinking there. You know, like, their best forward is a guy who has an insane amount of talent, but isn't your sort of physically dominant guy that seems to be able to play and be dominant night in and night out in the National Hockey League. Like, there's a reason why with the size that Ovechkin has, with the size and grit that you know, he's always played with. Like, Crosby doesn't have size, but he's always played with grit. Matthews, same thing, size. McDavid has a decent amount of size. McKinnon has the size. Pedersen's six feet tall, but he's 104 pounds soaking wet, and he gets tossed around like a fucking ragdoll out there. So there are nights where he is just useless, and there's not many, there's not much else I can say about that. Like, he just, he needs some depth to kind of give him some room to work with. Mm. But when all you have to do is shut him down, yeah, some nights it's gonna happen. Don't yeah. get me wrong; he's had a decent season, but there are nights where and he's gonna get better. You know, he'll, oh, he will he'll, for he'll sure. Into like, it I mean, and, he's uh, he's not one like it's not like he came in at eighteen; like he's already you know twenty two or twenty three, I think now. But he is still young enough that he's got a lot of room to go. Yeah, he's gonna gain some size. He's gonna get smarter. You know, he's only been in the league for two years. Uh, Besser's played well. That's one bright spot if you're a Vancouver. Quinn Hughes fan. looks off. Yeah, Quinn Hughes doesn't Soft, look right. Sophomore slump for he, sure. He doesn't look right. But Nate Schmidt didn't seem to get the fit that we uh, kind of thought going into nope. the season either. No, so, he hasn't. A few problems uh, lying around the Vancouver front. Uh, the Calgary Flames, 17 points uh, in 17, soon to be 18 games as they are down 5-1 to one against the Edmonton Oilers as we speak. No team would ever blow a 5-1 lead, so I think it's safe to say that the Calgary Flames uh, are going to remain at 17 points. But uh, stranger things have happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on the Flames? Uh, you, you talk about Markstrom looking pretty pretty solid there. Um, they, they just don't seem to have any momentum. They they win one, they lose. They lose another one, but then they win two in a row, and then they lose two in a row after that. And there just doesn't seem to be any traction to their season. Yeah, they have no. Uh, I I'm almost ready to officially say it here. Like I've always kind of believed it, but I I don't know if it's true for sure. But I'm pretty close to being married to the idea that I think this core is broken. Um, Cause I don't really have much of a other explanation for it. Like they've had several different coaches, albeit uh, none of which were ideal options. Um, so I don't know if they just haven't had the right coach, but they have yet to show any ability to be consistent uh, for any stretch of time under any of these coaches they've had. And at some point, the players do the talking like coaching does a lot, but like the players have to kind of speak for themselves at some point. 
and they haven't really. Like it's just a very inconsistent team that I don't really know what to make of. Kachuk has been off since the. I mean, not that I'm. I'm not making a correlation here, but since the puck flip incident with Muzzin, he has like two points. He has been bad too, like analytically terrible. Um, so something's off with him. Like he kind of needs to get going there. Once he does, I think that'll get things going. But yeah, I don't know. Like this, just this roster doesn't uh, seem to be super inspired. And at a certain point, you kind of have to uh, make something happen. And um, there are a lot of guys that have been there for a lot of years trying a lot of the same things. And I think it's just time for maybe a change. I don't sort of wonder if Sam Bennett is um, maybe a bigger issue off the ice than we think he is. I, I don't, again, want to put that out there necessarily, but he's another guy where, you know, he has certainly been a bit of a distraction this year, and they've, they've looked worse than ever this year. So um, I wonder if they ship him out of town, if that sort of loosens things up. But... Unfortunately, like if you're the Flames, like you you you've you're not you're able to count on Goudreau to an extent. Of course, like he has Patterson syndrome. There are some nights where he's just going to get tossed around, and you know some of the other players are going to have to do it. Uh, not as big of an issue as I would say with Patterson. Uh, not as big of an issue with Goudreau as it is with Patterson, is what I would say. Uh, but you got Lindholm, you got Monahan. Like I don't know really what to make about Sean Monahan. He's a bit of an enigma. And as you go down the lineup, it just, it kind of gets to the point where it's like, now you're counting on Dylan Dubé. You know, now you're counting on Rasmus Anderson. Now you're counting on Valimaki. And it's like, these guys are 21, 22 years old. It's not their job. Like, these are not your star core players. They're probably going to turn into really good players, but they're not, you know, no one's expecting Dylan Dubé to be Vinny LeCavalier moving forward. Um, it's just, there's a lot to be done, I think, here, and I'm not super impressed with them so far this year, but... Uh, I do maintain that even though I have that opinion of their roster, I don't think Jeff Ward is a good coach, and I don't think I'm going to change my mind on that. So, I had the Flames finishing in second on the season. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that that's not going to be the case. Um, I do have my list in order of points. So, respect mm -hmm. to the the Habs here, the points percentage say they are in second. The points say they are in fourth. So, the Montreal Canadiens yeah. sitting at nine five and two uh, as it stands uh, since going. 4-0-2 to start the season. They are 5-5 uh, five and five in their last 10. Pretty mediocre hockey. Um, have they hit a wall? Is this the real Montreal Canadiens? Have we have we finally figured out that they're more of a mid-level pack team? Or is this just a, a, a bump in the road? I think it's a bump. The thing with Montreal we've always said is that they're... The, again, this is a roster. They don't have an elite star player of any kind. And, you know, if you still think Carey Price is the best goalie in the National Hockey League, you're naive. Uh, if you still think Shea Weber is the best defenseman in the National Hockey League, same thing. You know, if you're waiting for Jonathan Drouin to score 30, 40 goals, you're going to be waiting forever. So, you know, this is a team that relies on their depth. They need everybody to be on every night. And some nights they're just not. Uh, some nights they're going to run into a team that has those star players that are going to break the game open, too. You know, you're going to have a night where, uh, you know, Matthew's line's going to have a shift and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And if they get a couple goals um, and sit on it kind of thing, like, you know, it's going to be hard to get things going. It's the same thing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. They've shown this year that they can open up a game and, and get fucking six points in a night. Like, if they ever pop off against you, you don't have anyone that can respond. So um, Montreal's MO is that they can create chances. They can play that offensive sort of game, but they need to be in control of the puck. If you out-possess Montreal, you're going to fucking kill them. 
And uh, I think teams have kind of figured that out. It's up to Montreal to figure out a way to sustain that, um, sustain their way of playing a little bit better. Because, uh, again, you know, uh, every team we've talked about, we've talked about a player within the first few seconds. And I've, I really haven't mentioned anyone on Montreal that's impressed me this year. It's not any one guy. It's their, it's their team being super consistent as a whole. Obviously, Toffoli's been a game changer for them. Um, but that's it, really. Like, Toffoli's not, Toffoli's not a guy that you can routinely count on to score a 40 or 50 goal pace. So at some point, you know, they're going to need to win games as a team. And they just, they haven't done that recently, really. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets are sitting third in the division to this point, 10-6-1 on their record. I think that's surprising a lot of people around the National National Hockey League. Uh, they were kind of a bubble team for me. I thought that they could make the playoffs, but, you know, it would be fourth place. It would be a tight race down the stretch type of deal. They're by no means, you know, safe, but nope. they're looking really good. They, they look really well structured, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a team that, as the storyline goes, d- d- doesn't really have a lot of pieces on the back end. They're making it work. Uh, they're putting it together. Yeah. And uh, this is even without... Patrick Laine or Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I think has only played the one game. Uh, yeah, two games. Two yeah. games thus far, like between the, the quarantining and now he's he's been placed on the injured reserve. You're really not getting anything back for what you gave up in Laine, and they're still making it work. So um, you are the Winnipeg Jets guy. I'm sure you've got uh, an opinion on, on, on how you think the season's gone thus far. Yeah, they, they look very comfortable um, in, a, in a good way. Like they uh, – they're very difficult to explain if you're someone who uh, believes in analytics, and I am, and it's it's hard to make sense of how they win games sometimes, so you, you kind of have to watch them. And um, they just hang on to the puck, man, and, and the thing is is they don't, they don't shoot unless they're shooting to kill is a thing. Like a, most of their shots are high-danger chances, and that's kind of the big difference, right? But they don't get a lot of them. Like you still look, and their scoring chances are probably in the bottom – third of the league, I would imagine. I haven't looked recently, but they're at least in the bottom half. Because they get 20, 22 shots five on five a night. But 14 of those are fucking grade A scoring chances, right? So they play a very bizarre style. It's rope-a-dope almost in a way. Um, a lot of teams that will get 35, 40 shots against them, a lot of them are perimeter chances. And don't get me wrong, Hellebuck and, and Brassois have been very good this year, but um, they play a system that I don't know of another team in the NHL that plays that way on a night-to-night basis where they just uh, shoot to kill, more or less, and they really only try to take the one shot rather than, you know what I mean? They don't try to force what isn't there, I guess is what I'm getting at, and I think it works for them. So I don't know why that works, and I don't know if it's sustainable either, but they have certainly made it look like they're very comfortable playing that way this year, and uh, kudos to them. I think that that's, uh, that's bitching. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers have gone up six to one now since we last talked about the Calgary Flames. It's six one. Six one for the uh, Oilers as, as it stands. Uh, they are eleven and eight on the season, sitting second in the division in points. I'm assuming this is going to go from twenty two to twenty four by the time this is out. Um, but while there's a lot of talk about McDavid and Drysaddle and how effective they can be on the ice, this is a team that doesn't seem to be able to have any staying power in the sense that when they're down in a game. They stay down in a game, and they're not forcing overtime, and they're not getting those three point or you know those they're not getting those games to that that overtime section where you're picking up at least a point. You've seen a lot of other teams at least 
you know, for, hey, if we're going to lose, let's get overtime. Let's get that point. It's, it's going to be a tight division. It's going to be a, a dogfight for that fourth spot all year long. And while the Oilers are doing a good job of banking points, they just they don't have that desperation, it seems like, to to get to overtime, to to force the issue. They played one overtime game this year. They, they won it, to their credit. But of their eight losses, they haven't been able to uh, make that kind of uh, final push. Is Edmonton can they can they just kind of sit back on on their two big guys up front and get by and, and kind of coast into the playoffs at this point? Well, they've done it before. Um, you know, like I uh, I tweeted something to the effect last week of uh, is there a way for the NHL to black out the shifts in which McDavid and Drysaitel aren't on the ice because. I don't want to watch the rest of the game when they're not, and that would be true because uh, God, I I hate I I just I hate it. I sit there and I wait for McDavid and Drysaddle to get back out there, and I've never watched a team in my life where it's like none. I have no use for any of their depth players. None. If I were a fan of this team, it would drive me insane. Uh, but I'm not, thankfully. So yeah, like the problem with McDavid and Drysaddle has kind of always been they're not uh, amazingly consistent. Their high end is is insane. Right, and they are the only two players in the league that can just at any point go off for five or six points in a game. But they may also have a week where you don't hear their name, uh, and that's the problem, right? Is because they don't have any depth that can help them win in those games, and so they're they're going to win a lot of games because they do have two of the best players in the league. But you know, I I just I don't know how sustainable things are for them always, and they're another team where. At least with the Jets, when they get chances, they score. But there are nights, you know, they get chances every night. With the Oilers, there are nights where you watch them and legitimately just go through the motions and barely get any scoring chances at all, if at all. And um, that's the problem with the Oilers, is, is they have the low end of the flames where they look completely uninspired, but they'll do that for a whole game at a time. And when you have a team that has no depth and they look disconnected sometimes it's hard to imagine how that team goes deep in the playoffs and that's the issue i have with the oilers i don't see them as a legitimate threat uh at all i i i don't care about the oilers i i i still think that if we're talking going deep in the playoffs there's probably four other teams in the division i'd be more worried about and that's with edmonton in second uh Conor david uh picking up the natural hat trick tonight he's got five oh, points amazing. Uh, and, See what the, I mean? and the second period isn't even over yet. So. Which, which, like, yeah, like, and I'm not taking anything away from the kid, but like, I don't. Th- like, he, he hasn't scored a goal in six or seven games coming into tonight, mm-hmm. and they didn't win. And he still led the league in points. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's the thing because he'll just do this, and hopefully does it. You know, not that not that you would expect him to get six points every night, but like a point or two is what they need from him. They need two points a night from him, and like, that's not a fair thing to ask of him. So they're going to lose a lot of fucking games because they're not they're not deep enough to offset the freaking fastest kid alive that they have that's their best player. Yeah. The Toronto Maple Leafs sitting in first place. They won again last night. They're 14-3-2 on the season. They picked up Alex Galchenyuk in a, tra- uh, a trade with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Galchenyuk's seventh team uh, in the last four seasons. Um I don't really want to get too in depth with the Leafs here. We talk about them quite frequently, but yeah. uh, let's let's stick with the Galchenyuk uh, storyline here. Is this a guy that is going to have any sort of redemption 
for his career in Toronto. I know you're a fan. You've been a fan of him. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy since, since day one. Um, I want the best for him, and that was before he was on my team. Um, but I just don't know if there's anything left in the tank. Is Toronto the right team to maybe get him back on track, or should he have maybe hoped for a, a better outcome? Uh, Toronto's going to help. There, there's no denying that. I mean, they have a development staff unlike any other in the league, really. Like, there's only a few teams that uh, have developed more players, but I don't know that there's any team that puts more money into actual player development staff and, and uh, you know, workouts and things like that. Um, they have refurbished a lot of players that were completely shot when they got to Toronto in the last few years. And um, none of them had the talent that Alex Galchenyuk has. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a reasonable opportunity for him to learn some things and to kind of get his game back on track. I don't even know that it's going to be in Toronto, but I do think that he's going to have a second wind in his career. Uh, but I am a guy that's always been in his corner, so who knows. Okay, that, that's the uh, Skosh, the North Division. The Skosh. Uh, taking care of all seven Canadian teams. The Skosh. Okay, so it is, uh, like we said, Sunday, February 21st, 2021. In exactly one year, we'll be watching. Two, two, one, two, one. Uh, palindrome, if you will. Mm. The um, paradox. Yeah, in exactly one year, we will be watching, uh, well, we're, we're scheduled to be watching. We'll be watching the gold medal game at the 2022 Olympics, or so they tell us. Um, so we thought it'd be mm. maybe a good opportunity to take a look at what yeah. that roster might look like for yeah. Team Canada. Well, that I picked a Team Canada. Definitely will not be playing in the Olympics because the Olympics won't be happening. But no, um, let, let's talk about what that, that might look like as, as two guys that, you know, just love Olympic hockey. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like Olympic hockey, really. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. Like I, uh, like here's my my very quick summation of my Olympic uh, watching hockey. Okay, a very quick summary here. I watched the O2 Olympics. I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. It probably helped define my hockey love as I know it today. It was great. Okay, great time. I watched the O6 Olympics. I was devastated and and don't remember a second. Of it. I I was devastated. Blocked it in my memory. I watched the 2010 Olympics, sort of. I didn't see the golden goal, and I didn't really care for some reason about the 2010 Olympics. 2014, I watched every minute of Canada, and then 2018... We had breakfast together watching the gold medal game. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was like, I, I enjoyed it. Was the it the weirdest fucking hockey game ever watched I enjoyed it because it was just like, oh, whatever, like, I'll... I'll it didn't... It didn't... None of the Canada games were at times where I wanted to be watching something else, so it all worked out. But... I'm not lying when I say I would rather watch speed skating and a bunch of this other shit that I never fucking see for four years at a time. And then all of a sudden there's two weeks and they jam it all into mm. like fucking 14 days nonstop. They just inject it into your arm like a, like fucking heroin. And it's just like it never stops. It's on TV all the time. And it's like, well, I don't want to watch Connor McDavid because I watch him 60, 70 times a year. I'm going to watch, uh, you know, the fucking uh, the bobsled because it's cool as shit. And they might die. Wow, okay. You know, oh, they not, could. Not from COVID. They could, no, but I'm just saying, like, they're doing something insanely dangerous, and mm -hmm. it's very interesting to watch. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sometimes I don't want to watch the hockey games, but uh, I have an opinion on the Canadian Olympic team, that's for sure. I was more interested in the 2018 Olympics, because it was like, oh, cool. What kind of different. What kind of ragtag team of uh, Canadians are we going to pull to send? And then, you know, at the same time, I'm thinking, like, oh, wow, they're, like, Canada's underdogs. <laughs> 
That how fucking cool is that? How yeah. how, how, how are we going to say that again in your lifetime? That Canada was underdogs in the Olympics. So I had a lot of fun watching that. And with that, uh, I thought that the uh, Olympic uh, Committee should have uh, given a, a big middle finger to the NHL when they said, "Oh yeah, no, we're going to come back for Beijing. Go fuck yourselves. You didn't want to play in our tournament four years ago. We're not going to invite you back in the Sandcastle next time." So uh, I think it's an absolute joke uh, that we're going to even have NHL players in the Olympics next year. Wow. Well, um, we'll see. That that's, yeah, we got to have Olympics first. That's the agreement right now, yeah. right? So, in any case, uh, the this, ice might melt. Now, so. now that we've prepared you all in a very uh, motivating manner <laughs> for the uh, Olympic talk, man, it's gonna be great. Yeah, well, aren't you guys gonna love it? Here, here's the our thoughts. This is all of our listeners probably like the Olympics more than we do. Yeah, I even, I even, I like the idea of picking the Olympic team. It's just for some reason watching the final product doesn't interest me yeah. that much. I don't know why. How do you want to do this? You want to do uh, do the forwards, uh, then the defensemen, and the goalies. Yeah, you want to do the goalies and so. net oh, out. No, like no, a good let's, team let's, starts let's, from the net out, or we should probably start with the goalies. Start with the goalies because I okay. think the goalies are a little more cut and dry than the other two positions. All right, so here, here, let's let's do this really suspensefully and, and have a lot of fun with it. Who's your third string goalie for the team Canada? Oh shit! Uh, the one position that I really hadn't worked out how mm, that's the, fair. how everything was going to work out. So how I picked my team. Uh, I'm, I did it how I would pick the team, not how I think they're going to pick it. I have no earthly idea what Doug Armstrong is going to do with this fucking team. It as long could, as it's not Bill. It, <laughs> I'm sure he's involved. And so, uh, like, I don't know what he's going to do. This is what I would do. Okay. Mm, okay. Um, and I'm also have to base it on what I see now. Sure. I have no idea where these guys are going to be a year. Yeah, okay? definitely. Based on how I know every player in the league right now. This is the third string goalie, folks. <laughs> uh, well, no, just my goaltending. I'm just going to go <laughs> oh, for my goaltending. Okay. Uh, my third string goaltender is... Uh, fuck, it's probably Carey Price. Uh, my number two is probably Mackenzie Blackwood, and my number one is Carter Hart. Um, I think the goaltending is very interchangeable, though, because all those guys bring something different. Blackwood is obviously the best of the three right now. That could change a week from now. Uh, Carey Price is obviously the best resume, and Carter Hart should be the best of the three, and it shouldn't even be close. But mm. He hasn't been amazing this year. I'm sure he'll be fine. Mm. So I, I went in a bit of a different approach. Yeah. Uh, I went with the third string goalie, Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, he's a guy that's been the third string goalie before. He was. He was. I will get to my cuts, but he was yeah. considered. He, he he's he's a guy that isn't going to be upset to be the third string goalie at this point in his career. He's done it before. There's no damage done. You're not bringing along a 21-year-old Carter Hart or Mackenzie Blackwood to sit in the press box and not get to play in Olympic hockey. So I like the idea of having a veteran up there instead of a, a young guy. Sure. Um, my backup goaltender, who I say backup very loosely, uh, is Carter Hart. Okay. And my starter is Carey Price. Sure. So uh, I think there's a lot of room to, to maneuver between those two guys, and, and maybe you pull an Ed Belfour and or uh, Kurt, sorry Curtis Joseph, and and you lose the starting job in, in game one, and it's Carter Hart's team the rest of the way. But those are my three guys. Okay. 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 Um, the defense. Let's hear yours. My my defense. Okay, my seventh defense. I'll start there. My seventh defenseman is Thomas Shabbat. I've got him in the press box. You only pick seven. Yeah. You're allowed to bring eight if you want to. It's a 23 man team, so I brought I brought one extra forward and one extra defenseman. Uh, okay. Nor, how does that work then? Because I normally it's normally a 25 man team. Oh, I don't think it ever has been. They they normally pick twenty five. Maybe they only bring twenty three. Oh, and perhaps. Then the guys are reserved. It, it doesn't perhaps. Really okay. Okay. Well, who would your eighth guy be then? If I guess probably Jared Spurgeon. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, but your number seven is Thomas Shabbat. Shabbat with the, uh, again, the little asterisk that he probably won't be playing seventh uh, the whole time. Uh, my third pair, I've got uh, Kiel McCarr from the Colorado Avalanche on the right side. Okay. And I got Shea Weber on the left side. Uh, he's, he's the he's the, the Scott Niedermeyer, the Duncan Keith uh, of, of this group, the, the only returning vet. So just, well, I guess not the only, but one of the only returning vets. The second pair, I got uh, Dougie Hamilton on the right side from the Hurricanes, uh, paired up with Morgan Riley from the Leafs on the left. Okay. And the top pair, we got a couple of Vegas boys, Shea Theodore and uh, Alex Petrangelo, nailing down that top pairing okay. on the back end. Who's your second pairing again? Hamilton and Riley. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, too, went in a bit of a different direction here. Um, I guess I'll read my roster, then followed by... Uh, my pairings, um, I also thought it was noteworthy to uh, say that I picked my team according to the idea that I would have a certain coach. Uh, because I think at the Olympic level, coaching is more important than at any other level. And I think that's sort of been on display over the past few Olympics that uh, the best coach team has been the team that has won the gold medal for uh, 20 Four years, at least that I, at least the Olympics that I can speak to. So, um, my coach will be Rod Brindamore, and uh, having said that, my defenseman will go. <clears throat> uh, I picked Shea Theodore, Kale McCarr, Alex Petrangelo, Thomas Shabbat, Colton Pareko, Dougie Hamilton, Sam Gerrard, and uh, Morgan Riley. Uh, my pairings will go Shabbat, Petrangelo on the first pairing. Theodore and Pareko on the second pairing, and Gerard Makar on the third. Hmm. Gerard was a light cut for me. Mm -hmm. He was sitting around in the uh, seventh spot for a while. My uh, yeah, I guess I, I was I meant to do my notable cuts too. My the two goaltenders I had considered and cut, uh, but I didn't consider them very long was Darcy Kemper and Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, the four defensemen that I had cut were Shea Theodore, Josh Morrissey, Jared Spurgeon, and Ryan Ellis. I really liked the idea of bringing Shea Weber along. For his experience, I don't really think that he's going to be good enough that I would put him in a game, but I like the idea of him at least being on the trip. However, I put Riley on the team over Weber, not because I'm a Leaf fan. Uh, I would actually rather have Weber at this stage, but I'd rather have the left shot and Morgan Riley in case I need him. I don't love left and righties that aren't comfortable doing it, and so I would just like the the idea of having Riley as my Fourth left defenseman in case I should need him in a in a spot uh, because he's very interchangeable with the other three lefties. So hmm. I, I left Shea the or Shea Weber off surprisingly uh, against my own wishes because I don't like him. But okay, yeah. And uh, now, do you have your forwards in lines? Uh, I do. Perfect. Okay, yeah. let's go back and forth the forward lines in that case, and I'll start with my fourth line. Your fourth line? Yeah. You got uh, Ryan O'Reilly on the middle from the St. Louis Blues. Okay. With Mark Stone on the right wing from the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay. And Sean Couturier from the Philadelphia Flyers on the left wing. Okay. Good, good luck scoring on those three. Okay. Okay. Uh, I went with the superior choice of uh, <laughs> uh, left wing, I have Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, right wing, I have Mark Stone. And uh, the center position, I have Mark Shifley. I do have O'Reilly taking the faceoffs, however. Interesting. Because Mark Shifley is awful at faceoffs. Interesting. But, uh, He's uh he's been the better defensive center this year, so my spare forward is uh, Travis Konechny, for the record. Oh, uh, since I thought I was bringing two, my spare forwards are who are they? 
uh, Sean Couturier from the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, Brandon Gallagher from Montreal Canadiens. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my third line is uh, a classic, a Team Canada staple. Uh, yes. uh, Brad Marchand from the Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron from the Boston Bruins, and Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. Pretty, pretty good third line. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. A couple cups. Yeah. <laughs> Couple gold medals with uh, <laughs> with uh, bearing in mind, I guess that Rod Brandemore uh, is my coach. Uh, I will just make the suspense apparent here and say that my second line is your third line. It's the same line. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah, I. This isn't because I don't like him. This is just a general observation. There, there is a very, very small chance I think that maybe Brad Marchand doesn't make this team. Just because I looked up about a hundred Olympic roster predictions today, and a lot of them had him missing, mm. and I just I don't agree with that. But maybe there's a decline that I haven't noticed to his game. Okay, uh, he's been good this year. So okay, uh, but just a thought. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, your second line. You're not doing your third line. Oh, I I can now. Uh, yeah, my my third line was Stamkos. Uh, Steven Stamkos of the Tampa Bay. I've heard of him. I'm sure you've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, Braden Point of the Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mitchell Marner of the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my second line uh, is Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs mm-hmm. on the right one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche mm-hmm. at center. And uh, Mark Scheifele of the Olympic Jets playing mm-hmm. left wing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably the best hockey player in the world on the second line of the, the roster. Pretty cool. Wow. That's high praise for Mark Scheifele. Uh, my first line, big fan, is <laughs> my first line is uh, Jonathan Huberdeau of the Florida Panthers, mm. uh, mostly because I just think he fits well with my centerman, who's Connor McDavid, and my right winger, who is Nathan McKinnon. Mm. Okay. Mm. Uh, my uh, first line is Stephen Stamkos on left wing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Connor McDavid, uh, little, guy, little guy that's got yeah, twelve points tonight. Just this little guy. Yeah. Uh, from the Amazon Oilers, and on right wing, uh, Matthew Barzell. Of the New York Islanders. Oh, yeah. Give yeah. me, give me so Matt Barzell feeding Connor McDavid uh, all game long. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll go through my forward cuts to sort of justify why I made some of the decisions that I did. Uh, these are the only other players that I had seriously considered. Um, there is, I guess, six of them. Uh, I had John Tavares on the team. He was my last cut just because I don't think he's been particularly good this season, uh, and he wasn't very good last season. Easy, Steve. He does have the shot and a lot of other intangibles that I would like on this team, but a lot of the reasons I would take him, there are other guys that sort of fill that void and I think are maybe a little uh, younger and a little more spry that can do it. So uh, it was kind of him or Sean Couturier as my extra forward, and I just I don't see the need to take Tavares when Couturier is a little bit better defensively. Uh, Matt Barzell, although if Rod wanted him there for his speed, I would consider it. Uh, he's a giveaway machine, but he's also a takeaway machine. So I don't know if you'd be able to play him in a defensive role, but that'd be interesting. Uh, other other names were Bo Horvat, uh, Taylor Hall, Claude Giroux, Anthony Sorelli, and Travis Konechny. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really do any late cuts for the forward group it was pretty cut and dry for myself uh and my my coaching staff is just uh whatever guy is smart enough to put karmic david on the ice followed by nathan mckinnon over and over and over again until we have the the lead and then putting out those bottom two lines until we uh, no longer have the lead 
Uh, kind of like the Mike Babcock experience. Just 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 put someone behind the bench and, and Team Canada will win. It, it's fine. It'll take care of itself. Hmm. Yeah. So I have well uh, machine. I have Rod Brindamore with Jared Bednar and Barry Trotz. So hmm. probably hmm. the right guys for yeah. sure. Uh, Captain. Oh, it's it's Sid for me for yeah, sure. It has to be Sid because we're naturally going to make that awkward transition where I set you up and you spike it because we're going to talk about Sidney Crosby now. A thousand initial <laughs> games. For Sidney Crosby. By the way, congratulations on another gold medal from Team Canada. Wow. That um, was like that. That was a very smooth transition. It was kind of like that radio guy that went viral today. See that one? No, that I retweeted? No, no. No. Well, got to do that one on the podcast now. I, uh, I'll i retweet the video for, uh, for the fans at home here uh, on our Laced Up account. But I'll have you watch it now just because I feel like it's. Uh, we are. Enjoy uh, it. Uh, we are underway in uh, Lake Tahoe, by the way. Oh, God, yeah. we got to hurry. That's just meant. It's Broadway Bill actually in charge of the music flow, playing a song that was big like 20 years ago. Still sounds so good, it's scary. From Sweet Man's Eagle Eye, Jerry. Save your strength, save your time, save your money, save you some deadline, but most of all, save tonight. <laughs> Pretty good. The more you watch it, the more you notice stuff. I watched it like 40 times today. It's fan- there you go. Fantastic. Broadway Bill. Anyway, your transition was as smooth as Broadway Bill. Thank Mine you. was not. No one remembers it now. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, a thousand games for Sid the Kid. Sid the Sid the Kid no longer a kid, but uh, young goats are called kids. So Sid the Goat still kind of applies. Um, Thirteen points in fifteen games oh, on the season for him. Bill. He's got uh, three cups. Uh, he's got two hearts, three Pearsons, two Art Rosses, two Rocket Richards, two Con Smythes that he didn't deserve. Um, and oh, um, he didn't deserve either of them. No, and really? um, has been uh, the face of the franchise since coming into the league in 2005. Uh, Sidney Crosby, all time. Where does this guy fit in? He's 33 years old. You got to think he's got a few years ahead of him. He's played 16 seasons. 1,000 games, 1,276 points as it stands. Yeah. Where does he fit in? Yeah, all time. For me, he is probably fourth, maybe? Fourth I'm, asking, I'm, I'm asking you. you I, I can't. Uh, is he fourth for me? I think he's probably fourth. I mean, you know, like Gretzky has the impact he has. Bobby Orr is the greatest defenseman of all time. Uh, Mario is Mario Lemieux. So it's probably Sid. Would be next for me. Uh, not to take anything away from Gordy Howe, because we're never going to see anything like that again. Um, but Sidney Crosby was a star player at a time in the NHL where we hadn't had an absolute dominant player for about 10 years. Uh, at a time when hockey had almost died the year before, and we almost ceased to know the NHL as we know it now. Uh, the NHL continued existing. Because the year after the lockout, Sidney Crosby versus Alex Ovechkin was born. And who's the better player? Sidney Crosby. Ovechkin's the best goal scorer, but Crosby has had the legacy that he's had. He's a guy who came into the league. He couldn't win a faceoff. He couldn't play defense to save his life. He put up fucking, what, 50 goals in his rookie season? Did he put up 50? But he got 104, 104 points, I think it was. Like, he had a great rookie season. 
then figured out how to play defense uh, better than most, if not all, players in the National Hockey League, despite having not been awarded for it, I don't think. Did he win the Selkie? Did no. you say that? No, he hasn't. No. He, um, he finished as high as uh, fourth two years ago. Yeah. Arguably the best defensive player of his time, uh, other than maybe Patrice Bergeron, and uh, is one of the best face-off winning centermen in the league, despite coming into the league and not knowing how to do it at all. Um, his work ethic speaks for itself. His marketability speaks for itself. He was a kid that I hated when he was a kid uh, because all he did was bitch, 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 and moan, and he learned how to win, and he knew, learned how to be that stoic winner. He, for me, is four because he is the perfect, perfect fucking role model for a young player. And uh, no matter how you try to slice it, I think there's a little bit of Sidney Crosby for everyone. And there aren't a lot of guys that you can ever say that about in the history of the National Hockey League. Okay. It's 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 the time missed for me. That it's it's gonna be one of those factors that we look back on when whenever he does hang the skates up. Because we're talking about his thousandth NHL game today in twenty twenty one. that should have came Yeah. Two, three years ago. Yeah. Uh and that's the real heartbreaker. The guy puts up hundred and twenty points as a nineteen year old in two thousand seven and is held to 72 points in 53 games the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he he only has 22 games in 2012, 36 games in 2013. Um, well, he played, He I'm doing the quick math here, sure. he played less than 100 games between 2010 and 2013. Yeah, yeah part, right? part of that, the, the lockout. Lockout for sure. season break, yeah. but, he, but he was hurt uh, for half of 2010-2011. He was hurt for uh, three quarters of 2011-2012. And for, you know, if we do have fans that are too young to remember it, there was a legitimate conversation at the time that he was done. He was done, yeah. Not just being Sidney Crosby. Retired. That he was maybe not going to be in the National Hockey League by 2014 because of his injuries. He had massive concussion problems. We didn't know if he was ever going to come back from that. And and we don't know if he should have. You know, again, this is another one of those things sure. that we're going to talk about 30 years from now, and when we find out that Sidney Crosby, you know, isn't the person that we thought he is, uh, yeah, who, we might, who knows? We might I, I don't see this. it happening. Well, no, know, no, right? you never know. Um, so yeah, part of that's the lockout. Then you get last year with the COVID shit that impacts everybody the, just the same. But Crosby, uh, a great season, 47 points through 41 games, uh, looking like he was. You know, on the verge of maybe another hundred point season, uh, just playing absolute out of out of his mind. Uh, this year, point per game, he missed the first half of this year because of COVID, like everybody else did. So it's really frustrating to see a guy with this much skill miss that much time, mm-hmm. and he's still uh, a slam dunk Hall of Famer. But it, it's it's the what what could have been. It, just as we mentioned with Ovechkin at the, the beginning of the episode, you know how many how many goals is he gonna uh, end up with is he going to get to Gretzky? Is it because of all these factors that he's going to not get the record? Uh, what was uh, Sidney Crosby's ceiling? Did he have 150 points in him when he was 20 years old? We'll never know. Yeah, and that's another thing too, right? Like if he if if prime Sidney Crosby were coming into the league now, mm-hmm. would he be right there with Connor McDavid? Yeah, I do, I do think he would be. I actually think he he would be putting up more points than McDavid is. Mm. Um, but you know, we're never going to know that. He came into, like, don't get me wrong, scoring was up when he was a kid. But then it went down, and his numbers stayed high. And then the numbers have continued to go down, and now he's a little bit older and worn down, and he's not 
don't get me wrong, he's probably the fourth best player in the National Hockey League still. Yeah. But he's not, you know, he's not prime Sidney Crosby anymore. Mm-hmm. No one's ever going to be. So it's tough. Like, it's it's what do you make of those numbers? And I, I agree with you. There's a case to be made for uh, for him missing too much time. I'm not going to take that away from you. Yeah, I mean, you can make the same case for Mario, but it's different circumstances, right? Oh, definitely. And the problem with, yeah. Mar- with, the problem with that debate, and the reason I did, I'm not going to make it is because Mario's resume still speaks for itself. Definitely. Even though he did miss all that time. Yeah. You, what the fuck can you take away from him? With this, where when you look at Crosby, yeah, he's he had a lot of years recently where he only had 85, 90 points only. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like to put him in that greatest of all time conversation, I understand it. But I, I just think that has had an impact on the game and the way that it's played better than, than maybe anyone, ah, uh, man. Yeah. Like maybe better than anyone in history to this point. Like he, he is, almost directly responsible with the way that a lot of players play right now and the way that the National Hockey League is now. And you could say the same thing for Lindros in the 90s, and you don't put him in this conversation. But Lindros doesn't have the resume that, that Crosby does. And, you know, he's got those other accolades to show for it. Like, he's backed up everything he brought to the table, right? And um, it's it's something where, like, you, when I was 14 and he came in the league, I hated him, and I won't take a single fucking thing away from him at this point. Like, I absolutely love the dude now. I think he's fucking great. Uh, he took everything I had bad to say about him when I was a teenager, and he fucking shoved it shoved it down my throat, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what what can I say about him now? He's, he's fantastic, and uh, I think he did a lot for the game I put him top four. Yeah. Um, I've got him fourth as well, with the caveat that he'll probably be fifth by the time we're having this conversation about Connor McDavid, but we'll see. Well, I mean, once you put McDavid on the line with Austin Matthews in Toronto, it's just game over, right, for everyone. Like, what are you going to do? You put that great mind to work to teach him how to be a 200-foot player, and McDavid's just going to be great once he learns from Matthews. So, Kind of like when um, um, uh, who's the the closer for the Yankees, number 42? Rivera. Rivera. Kind of like when uh, when he taught Roy Halladay how to throw a, a, a slider at the All-Star game. It was just like so. Is that the story? Yeah, he, he taught Roy Halladay to do the slider. And all the Yankees, uh, like Rodriguez and Why Jeter. Why doing that? Yeah, they were all pissed. <laughs> <laughs> they were living with the guy. But it was tough enough hitting this guy before, and now he's got a slider. Great. Thanks. Thanks uh, like, there's something. There's always been something about Rivera that I've loved just because he has such a – like, he's intense, but he has such a, a – an Ortiz sort of way, like way about him where he's just so light. Hmm. He's just so light and kind of, you know what I mean? Like that just seems like something he would do where he just got in a conversation with Galladay yeah. and he's like, yeah, man, yeah, man, here's how you just fucking do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm the best guy that's ever thrown this pitch, but yeah, let's just fucking do it. And then there you go. It was, it was one of those, there's a video of it somewhere you can, you can find it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic watch. One of those things, again, it was the all-star awesome. game. Uh, Roy Halladay was one of the starters, but he wasn't pitching and like Rivera hadn't gone out yet. And they're just both chilling out in the dugout or the the bullpen, and just shooting the shit. And he's showing them, oh, this is how you grip it. And and like Halley's like, oh, you, how, how, what's the arm delivery? How, oh, okay, yeah. Just go with the back and forth was fantastic. So I uh, can't wait to see the same thing with McDavid and Matthews and Toronto in a few years. It'll be uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, you have an overrated, underrated favorite, least favorite. For oh us. no, well we can we can forego. Do we forego? No, we have, I guess we have time. It's up to you. You mentioned it. Now. It's up to you. No, uh, we'll do it quick. Um. I just wanted because I like I don't think they have a super huge catalog, but you know you and I are both fans of them. 
Sure. I was just going to do overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite Nirvana songs. Oh, I wow. I thought that that was Ooh, a... Wow. Okay. Is, that, is that a long one? Nope. No? No. Nope. Do you want to shorten it up? We can do a shorter one. Nope. Okay. Good to go. Uh, Nirvana ones. Uh, you go first, because I, I hadn't thought about mine. Okay. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, pull up my list of Nirvana songs in front of me. Oh, okay. Okay. Overrated? <laughs> is that a hard one? Okay. Yeah. Overrated. Yeah. Uh, smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, it's it's yeah. overrated. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's like I like it. It's great, but it's uh, y'all beat it into the ground. It's not their best song. It's not. I don't even know if it's in their top five. It's pretty good though. Thanks, Weird Al. It's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's your underrated. Uh, my underrated. Ah, ooh. Um, ooh, wow. It's probably it's it's so hard to pick an underrated because I feel like all of their songs are properly rated. Um, okay, I'll go. All apologies. Okay. Yeah. Never never been a big fan, but mm. that's that's fine. Um my underrated's about a girl. I think uh, about a girl kicks ass. Really cool. Uh cool thing about Nirvana, all their songs are so short, so they're just easy to kinda Not the Beatles. You know? Yeah, exactly. Sure. <laughs> like the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, you know what I've noticed? Uh, that's the thing I like about CCR. All the CCR songs are like You get in, you get out, you have a good time. Yeah, they're like yeah. a minute and fifty to two twenty five. And it's just like Proud Mary keeps on burning, and then she stops burning, and the song's yeah. just over. Yeah, run through the jungle. It's not a walk through the jungle. It's a run through the jungle. It's We're done. Let's go. Jungle. On to the next one. Fortunate Have you ever seen the rain? Yeah. No? Well, oh, it's done raining. It's, it's, yeah, so, yeah. You missed the storm. So, past. The moon has set now. It's done rising. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Wow, they set themselves <laughs> up for that joke, didn't they? Yeah. Thanks, uh, Fogarty Brothers. Fortunate Sun. All right, your favorite sense. Nirvana song. Well, my favorite's Drain You. It's uh, oh, wow. okay. it's fucking awesome. Yeah, okay. I love Drain You. It kicks ass. Uh, on a plane is up there, but uh, yeah, I, I love Drain You. It's a it's a, of course a, a very mainstream song, but I I think it's great. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hard Shape Box. Yeah. I, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a pretty pretty piece pretty piece pretty pretty piece pretty 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 piece. You got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, my least favorite's probably Lithium, just because there's not really a chorus to it that, uh, that I want to hear more than, like, a few times, you know? There's just, uh, I like the verses, but the chorus just kind of, I don't know. It's overdone for me. I just can't do it anymore. Okay. It's fine. It's their only song I don't like, really. Okay. Yeah. Uh, In Bloom. Yeah. It's just, like, the, the song, the first verse and the first chorus, great. And then... I'm so sick of it. Yeah, that's enough of it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like again, like to the speak to the shortness of their songs. Like Lithium and In Bloom should both be half as long as they are. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. It smells like Teen Spirit. Five minutes. It's a perfect five minute song. Don't get me wrong. Like it, it is what it is, and I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I think that's all fair. Okay. Cool. Well, that, that was, was a quick one. Was, yeah, that was really good. Cool. Nirvana. All those like that. Talk about Nirvana. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll keep that in mind next week. Our favorite gob songs, because that's uh, there's not a lot to choose from, and four, they're all right? they're all short, yeah, they so four. and they were all on NHL games, so you'll all be familiar with them. Hmm. Uh, I have a weekly column at the high button every Thursday. I write about the Winnipeg Jets. That's all I have to plug. I do not have a weekly column at uh, the website he mentioned about the Winnipeg Jets on Thursdays, right. um, and uh, I have a lot of things to plug, but I'm not going to bore you with them. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, enjoy Lake Tahoe. Not worth plugging, are they, then? Enjoy the North Division. Enjoy 
the Phoenix Coyotes, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Try to give them some love. <laughs> and I'll see you in a year so we can all enjoy the Team Canada together. Yep. And Maybe, as they say, not. save your strength, save your time, save your money, save me some daylight. But most of all, save tonight. Gone and close the curtains. Because all we need is candlelight. You and me and the bottle of wine. And I'll hold you tonight. Well, we know I'm going away And how I wish I wish it were so So take this wine And drink with me Let's delay our misery Say tonight Fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone Say tonight Fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow there's a log on the fire And it burns like me for you Tomorrow comes with one desire To take me away from the truth It ain't easy to say goodbye Darling, please don't stop to cry Cause girl, you know I've got to go Lord, I wish it wasn't so Save tonight And fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone Save tonight And fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone Break up, Don.